Good lord, this episode's gonna be longer than the last Jedi review episode. This is fantastic, Zach. It's only 10.30 where I am. We could keep going. <laughs> no, but here's the best part. If we can get breakdown analytics of when people stop listening, we can figure out at what point we should have stopped talking. Oh, now that's a great episode idea. We're gonna <laughs> review our previous episode and say when it went on too long. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, mayo must. Everybody, go buy your mayo must if, you, if you're still listening. <laughs> oh, man. One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Includes, but is not led to. Talk of Star Wars, not Reagan's. We can truly prepare for the jump that follows this song. But hey, so here's the Knights of Vader. Impressive. Most impressive. A big thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is June 26, 2019. My name is Zach Weber. Joining me is the Zanger. Yes, much like Mace, much like um, Sam Jackson, I have returned to play Mace Windu or want to. And Rob's back, folks. Hi, and- kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm glad that we have another Night of Vader. I wasn't able to run all of them off this time. Um, but the last time I was on was the Meet Joe Black episode, right, Zach? Yes. Okay, man, it's been a while, uh, but I've returned in a completely different light. <laughs> Rob- I think Zach wants to introduce what that means. <laughs> oh, man, folks, we already, we lost the Force Ghost. The Force Ghost told us he'd be here. And then 20 minutes before recording, he found out what we were going to be discussing, and he bailed. The Force Ghost actually transported himself out of this dimension into a different one to avoid this conversation. So, brace yourselves. And you probably, I know we have some people in the, in the Facebook group, and we've gotten some emails about it. People like it when we discuss numbers on this podcast, when it's not just Zenger and I arguing about Star what? Destroyers. Star Destroyers. <laughs> it's always Star Destroyers. Always Star and the Destroyers. the correct answer is always Venators. Imperial class, Imperial class Star Destroyer, period. On opposite day, it's the correct answer. Whatever. Um, so my my realm of how I got introduced to this was, was Zach was like, hey, here's the thing we're going to be going over. So I got sent this document that um, that is 27 pages. <laughs> 27 pages. So I was already like, he's like, oh, if you get a chance to read, I'm like, if I get a chance to read this in the next week, it ain't happening. So... <laughs> ambitious um so that that was the first thing another thing is um there is numerous highlighted stuff which once again didn't read it um (laughs) numerous scribbles in whatever margin you can find in multiple different types of handwriting different pen types i mean different pen colors um this is and i am blanking right now and i'm kind of sad there is a UFO book that had this exact type of stuff put into it, and I feel <laughs> like I am discovering this, but with it... Oh, and there's a lot of profanity, too. But in the realm of Star Wars and 
you know what? I'm ready for whatever's coming next because I'm sure it's going to be some blurry photos of Bigfoot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you people call him Chewbacca. <laughs> okay. You people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First, I just want to say this is going to be a, a very... Okay. I guess you'd say, Rob, would you be opposed if we posted both the original... Uh, I guess, what would we call this? This, uh, I guess research text? What are we calling this the original document? Do we have a name for it? I have been referring to it as a report. Uh, No manifesto. (laughs) No, Rob's annotations are the manifesto. Yes, yes. The the thing I annotated is a five-part blog post from Mark H. White II uh, regarding his Star Wars fandom survey. I printed it all out. You know, I got it all into a 27-page document. And I... I analyzed it being a what Rob does for a living is math and statistics. And so Zach said to me, I don't understand anything in these blog posts. Can you can you, you know, give some insight? And that's what we're here to do today. And yes, I read the entire thing a few times over. I took notes, as Zanger mentioned, in different colors. There's highlights. There's there's comments. There's curse words. There's complaints. There's criticisms. It's all over the board. And I think that's what uh, I'm going to be able to talk about today. Is that what you were hoping for, Zach? Yes, uh, I, I guess I guess we can. We're going to post both of these in the Facebook group and link to them in the show notes, right? Yeah, I have no problem with it. Um, of course, there is, like I said, there's profanity um, in in my documentation, and probably the best way to to put it, you know, when this goes out into the public world, a disclaimer of my own. Um, this is solely my own opinions. So I read this study by myself of my own volition. And these are my opinions. They are not representative of any employer or entity that I am involved with. So the Department of Homeland Security, the Society of Actuaries, Colorado State University, they have nothing to do with this. I really have to say that. I I went to a whole day seminar of the Society of Actuaries telling me I had to say that when I gave statistical comments on published reports and surveys. So that's the truth. When you see my annotated notes, they are solely my opinions. And if you have any complaints or concerns with them, you should contact me specifically. That's the disclaimer. <laughs> I want everybody to know that the very first thing he he writes in his little annotations is why my sample is bad, but I ignore it. <laughs> yeah, that's how. So every for like I said, it's a five part blog post about this survey, and he titles all five parts, and I have lovingly given my retitles to these, and that is my title for part one: why my sample is bad, but ignore it. <laughs> So I don't know if we want to jump into this right away. Maybe, Zach, you know more about the history of this survey, because like I I said before the recording, I did not take this survey. It was it was, um, you know, I saw it in the Knights of Vader Facebook group, but I chose not to take part of it. How did it come to be in there and how did you find out about it, I guess? Context time, folks. This was around, I want to say, May 13th. That's at least the day I have when I posted this in the Knights of Vader Facebook group. Earlier that day, I... I don't know if I follow. I don't think I follow her. Somebody on Twitter I follow retweeted the author, Star Wars novelist, Claudia Gray. And she's like, oh, fill out this survey. It's it's like it's important. And considering that Claudia Gray is part of like the official Star Wars book component of Lucasfilm, I'm like, oh, this must be a legit. It must be something from Lucasfilm. Because there really wasn't anything signifying that this was being done from like a fan perspective. So I put it on Facebook and I made the mis- now in retrospect, it was a misnomer saying that it was an official Lucasfilm survey, which I have to correct now is not the case. And a couple people from the Facebook group, both Chris P 
and Chris B did it as, as well as. And we have well, I think we have three Chris's. We have uh, we have Chris P, who's our who's rivaling Porg Knight and being our most active fan of the podcast. We have Chris. We have Chris. <laughs> Porg Knight's <laughs> been really quiet lately. Porg Knight, I know you have a, a, a new child, but you know what? We're deducting points. We don't give uh, partial credit in fandom of the Knights of Vader podcast. <laughs> you still got to show up to class. <laughs> <laughs> There's no paternity leave at a Knights of Vader podcast school. <laughs> um, and uh, Jerry, good old Jerry. So yeah, so they filled it out. I know who knows who else did it in the Facebook group, and I know in, in the the notes this person gives in the report, a couple other sites like Jedi Jedi Temple Archives. I know it made its way over there, and uh, yeah, that's kind of the context. I took the survey, assuming that it was Lucasfilm related. And then when like I was reading it in the last couple of days, when I saw that it was unofficial, I'm like, well, that definitely I was misled by all that, mm. and yeah, that's pretty much the only context I have for it. Okay, so. Okay. I just want to say something real quick because I need to correct the record on a few things before we move on. Oh, the um, the reference I made to the annotated UFO book thing is a reference to the Philadelphia experiment. That oh, okay. is the that is the conspiracy theory, but the book is called The Case for the UFO. The annotated version of it is called the Vero edition. It is written by Morse K. Jessup. The annotations were from Carl Allende, real name Carl Allen. So that is the – he basically took this book, made a ton of notes in it in different pen colors with different handwriting and stuff like that, and then basically sent it to, I think, the Office of Naval Intelligence, and they contacted Morse K. Jessup. This was way back in, like, the 50s or something. and was like, hey, someone went and, like, jotted down a ton of crap in your book. You know who's doing this? Basically, I'm not, not going to get to all the Philadelphia experiment and all that, but there's basically me just making sure I'm getting my conspiracy and fun stuff correct before we continue with what I'm sure is going to be a um, thing that I will have to point out in court to the reason why certain things went wrong. All right. Insert that- laugh track. <laughs> I'm falling dead on the stage today, people. <laughs> The hook's coming out for you, Zanger. This this isn't this isn't the fun episode. This is the uh, the, the the statistics episode. This is kind of yeah, like right you're, now you're talking in class while I'm lecturing. <laughs> no, 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 yes, that 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 is that is what 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 this is is like. The teacher says but, and I laugh. I'm like, ha! Oh, teacher said but, and no one else laughs. And he's like, and then the teacher looks at me and goes, "You done now, Mister Zanger?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Well, can we can we get like student Zanger so I can send you to the principal's <laughs> office or something? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. You'll get student singer. Hold on, I'm going to put in an order for a pizza now. Perfect. <laughs> so, so I guess I want to ask, as I figured, as Zach confirmed, he he took this survey. He was the one who posted it. I figured he took it. Uh, Zenger, did you take this survey when it found its way to you? Did, were you a respondent? Uh, if you could count me as walking outside and yelling into the ether of the universe, my opinion, then no, I did not. I was not part of this. Okay, okay, okay. Unless they just take my opinions from the podcast at face value, which they should sometimes. Well, no, that that would have been a better (laughs) sampling technique than it was actually employed, but we'll get to that. I don't want (laughs) to jump into that right off the bat. I want to start by asking the Knights of Vader that I have here um, where they would consider themselves. And actually, in this survey... um, At my home. Can you let me finish? (laughs) And so Mark White, in his survey, he comes up with three clusters from his data. And we're going to talk about those clusters in greater detail. 
But specifically, he says that everybody that responded to his survey falls into one of three clusters, and he gives them names. And they are prequel skeptics, saga lovers, and the last Jedi disowners. And before we get into really defining, or at least how he defines those clusters, uh, which is ambiguous, that's going to be the uh, motif of this episode, ambiguity, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, being Star Wars fans, who I thought both of would have taken this survey, um, but, you know, still, where do you consider yourselves? So, uh, Zach, I guess I'll start with you. Prequel skeptic, saga lover, the last Jedi disowner, just with those names, where would you consider yourself? I love the title prequel skeptic. I like that as a title being like, what kind of Star Wars fan are you? You rub your chin and go prequel skeptic. It is. It is a good, it is a good title. So I, good I have title. to admit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think last Jedi disowner is a very fancy way of saying man, baby, but that's just me. <laughs> but uh, I, I am clearly a saga lover. Okay. Okay. Zinger, where would you consider yourself out of the three categories? I feel like I'm going to answer and then get an immediate response from either people at home yelling at their whatever device you listen to us on or Zach being like, you're lying. Attack of the clones disavower. Yes. that. that well, I, well, no, you can't create your own cluster. I, I do. I'm a big cluster. One person. And, <laughs> and man, I, I, I make a storm when I come through. Um, I guess the saga lover. I, I mean, cause I'm like, I don't really have a problem with the prequels. I mean, they exist and, their thing but hey don't say bad things about the prequels <laughs> I, I only say bad things about one of them mainly and we okay there's an entire okay. discussion on how you can fix all of that yes there's Jeez. actually two discussions <laughs> one that <laughs> i'm involved in that i'm pretty sure we perfectly fixed it so there 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 you go lucas um you know how to get a hold of us so yeah i guess the song i mean like i said i love star wars overall so mm-hmm. I, I guess that's where i land Okay, okay. And as for Last Jedi, I mean, I, I'd like it. Okay, and I, like I, I think I already mentioned, I did not take the survey as well, but I think I would call myself oh, well, a Oh, well, shame on you too. then. Well, shame on everybody who didn't take it. Anybody who didn't, well, well, actually, no, shame on, <laughs> shame on the structure of the study, but you're making me jump the gun. <laughs> but I wanted to get that out there, because those are three clusters that come up a lot in this survey, or at least part of his, his results from the survey. And uh, the, the Last Jedi disowner, I don't know if I've ever said it on Knights of Vader, I didn't hate The Last Jedi. I was just bored for most of it, but I loved like the last 45 minutes. So I don't think I disown it, but I, I, I like Star Wars for the most part, being the filthy casual of this podcast that I am. <laughs> All right. So before we jump into things, I do want to give another slight disclaimer. And really, this is towards the, the author of the report that I am going to criticize for the rest of this discussion. I, I am not looking at this survey and this report in a vacuum. I certainly looked into Mark H. White's uh, other research. It seems like he is a social psychologist to some extent. He minored in quantitative analytics, so that's where his stats background comes from. Other papers, the true papers that he's published from you know the little reading that I've done, they are actually good studies. So he knows how to construct a study and run good statistical analyses. Uh, but since this was kind of a pet project of his, he did it for fun, which I'm pretty sure he says, you know, verbatim in, in his introduction, uh, it, it's, it's lacking a lot of actual statistical meaning. 
And so that's, I think, what Zach said. You know, Zach, to whatever extent, was led to believe that this was an official survey from Lucasfilm, was it said you was? Uh, you mm-hmm. said it was? That's and that is not the case. This was just this guy. He, he says the first sentence of his report, I put together this survey to better understand the attitudes of the Star Wars fandom. It is unofficial, separate from the actual movies. It was just someone who does these types of studies and wanted to get this out there. So, Mark White, you do some good research. Uh, you're not a statistician purely, but you know what you're talking about. He has some other good blog posts about machine learning that were respectable. And so I have to give him a shout out for that. But for the rest of this discussion, I'm sorry, Mark White. I'm going to say some negative things about this. <laughs> shocker. <laughs> also, well, what is his shocker. PhD in? Uh, social psychology, I believe. Oh, okay. And yes, so he, he is more of um, someone who designs surveys and then you know uses statistics to bolster his results rather than someone who, like me, just focuses in statistics for a variety of reasons. I, I guess I should say also off the bat, I am not a survey statistician. I've done a little bit of it, but my research is primarily in, um, you know, big data and cybersecurity. So uh, I'm not like, this is not my wheelhouse, what I'm discussing, but I think that's okay because some of the things that he violates are pretty fundamental. And I think I want to start with the structure of the study because I remember back on May 13th, I think the date is that Zach gave when he posted this survey or the link to it in the Knights of Vader Facebook group. I remember seeing that post in the Knights of Vader Facebook group where Zach said, hey, everybody, take this survey. It's about Star Wars and fandom attitudes. I saw that on Facebook and I went, wow, someone's using snowball sampling and they're not going to get good data. So I didn't take the survey because I knew right off the bat that it was going to be useless. Uh, I'll clarify what I mean by useless as we go through this. But lo and behold, about two weeks or or three weeks later, Zach says, hey, do you want to talk about this survey? And in pretty much the first sentence of Mark White's report on sampling methods of this survey, he completely admits that he uses snowball sampling. And so that's where I want to start. Snowball sampling is the act of you give the survey to people and you tell them to recruit other people. That's exactly what Zach did. Zach was a step in that snowball for this survey. It's the Amway of surveys. It is the non-probabilistic version of surveys. And for the listeners at home who might not be statistically inclined, this means we cannot perform inference from our results. It is impossible. Now, I'm not saying that snowball sampling is bad. Yes, there's plenty of examples where it gives a more representative sample of your population than other common techniques. But if you sample with this snowball technique and you collect data, anything you say about that data, there is no way you can generalize that to a further population. And that, I think, is the biggest thing I want to say about this survey. We're going to talk about results. Some of the results that he points out in the report are really interesting. But you cannot take these to the entire Star Wars fandom. This data is literally only representative of the people that took the survey. Do I need to make that any clearer, Zach or Zanger? I really want to make sure everybody knows that that's the case, that the, serval- the, the sampling method he used makes this data meaningless to any greater population. That's what I'm hoping for, because I don't want, you know, we're going to talk about results and, and all this stuff. We're going to talk about sexism. It's going to be great. But it does not extend to the Star Wars fandom. We can only talk about these results for the approximately 5,000 people that responded to this survey. Any questions so far, class? 
<laughs> uh, can I go to the bathroom? Um, it, uh, we use Invader Zim rules here, where oh. the bathroom pass is a radiator. <laughs> Sweet. So, so you're gonna, it's gonna take you a little bit to get out of the classroom, so you're gonna have to hear the next bit of the, next bit of the discussion. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So, I, I, I do wanna, before we get into things where, you know, I think Zack and Zenger might have more influence, because we talk about actual Star Wars questions, I do wanna mention that I edited uh, or made my comments on his report um, very much like I edit other uh, academic journals or I grade tests. Anybody who's taken a class with me or I've reviewed papers for, they know I'm a very harsh editor. That's why there's a lot of curse words in this. That's why there's a lot of <laughs> different colors in this. I am certainly a very harsh grader and editor. Um, and so I want to say that I have concerns with the structure of this report. Zach actually brought this up to me before we recorded, but I'm glad he caught on to it as well, that there is in this report, in the first section, some semblance of an acknowledgement section. So, of course, anytime you have a survey and, you know, you're using such technique where you're trying to get other people to recruit for your sample, it's always good to put acknowledgments to who helped you out. Mark White puts this in the middle of a section. He doesn't highlight this. And I have a problem with that, that, you know, if you had people who, as he said, I think Claudia Gray, like he gave the survey to her and and she netted him a few thousand surveys in four days. She should get more than one sentence in the middle of a section. There should actually be some notification for that. Um, as, as also in the referrals of this report, it says that 2% of the sample came from unspecified Facebook pages. So Knights of Vader, <laughs> we're represented. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> or My at least dream the people, has come true. Well, no, you're not represented, Zanger, because you didn't take the survey. Oh, Okay. So, so, so the usual. Man. So everybody who took the survey, good for you. The two Chris's and Jerry, you are represented as well as I, but not yes. Zenger. So Definitely all those people, you know, so all those people who always say like we're part of the one percent. For the people of Knights of Vader who took this survey, you can say you're part of the two percent. How does that sound? We <laughs> get T-shirts made that say that. The upper crust. Perfect. So that was that was one of the issues of structure I wanted to mention. A lot of them are minor, of course, but another one I wanted to mention, uh, or mention majorly was the the disparity between section lengths. Sure, this could play into what he's interested in as a researcher. This could play into you know how much he wanted this to go viral to some extent. But I did have an issue where he spent most of his report on the sexism and conservatism, or I should say polit political uh, leaning aspects of the survey respondents. I felt there was too much time spent on that aspect and not enough time spent on things like age stratification, spent on things like um, you know more about the clustering or the statistical significances that he presents. So I wanted to ask you guys, being you know more in the Star Wars fandom than I am, um, do, is, do you think this was done, a larger focus was put on sexism and political beliefs of the respondents because of just the climate we have today, that that's what's going to get clicks from this survey? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I thought. I needed to double check. Because, oh, hold on, you know, hold on one second. I raised my hand and said yes. Okay, well, I, I should say, anyone who's taken a class with me, you don't have to raise your hand because that's weird. You're not my slave. You're a human. <laughs> Wait, I'm I'm free to leave this podcast. 
<laughs> I, I, well, that that's technically up to Zach. I don't have oh, that much control. Dang it! <laughs> you're my slave, Zach. You're not Rob's slave. You're my property. <laughs> yeah, Zach might have you raise your hand, but not for me. <laughs> so, but that that's the sense I was getting that he spent a lot of time on that portion of the data because that's what's going to get clicks and what people are interested in when they talk about you know the Last Jedi and he talks about you know people didn't like um, Kelly Marie Tran or. Or Laura Dern is Admiral Haldo. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of these names. But um, was this uh, was this a big part of the survey, Zach? That's the question I want to ask you. Since you actually well, took it, did did you have to answer a lot of questions about political beliefs and? Sexual- yeah, I remember he wanted to know a lot about the films. Like, what? Like, how would you rate the films on a scale of one to ten? Which I know you have a problem with. He had another one where he's like, okay, rate the following characters. It was mm-hmm. Luke's, It was like Luke Skywalker. I know he asked what your opinions were on all the characters. and he did. Have, I think he did the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. I don't remember him asking about like Qui-Gon Jinn or, or maybe he did do Darth Maul. Or maybe the, sequ- or the prequel trilogy characters were only like a handful of them. Not a lot of focus. Okay. And then he had questions like, okay, like he mentions about like Lucas's involvement. Like how does that... Does that increase your excitement or temper it for the rise of Skywalker? Sure. Yeah. Oh, I definitely want to come back to that later. That question was really interesting to me. And then he gets into, then he, I, I forget the exact word, but then he started getting into the politics where he wanted to, what kind of fan, like, 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 what are your political beliefs? What's your opinion on feminism? Again, I, I'm, I'm remember, I could be misremembering this. So please, people forgive me. Don't take me at hundred percent face value, but I do know there was a political spectrum. It wasn't just like, where do you rate yourself on the political spectrum? Liberal, moderate, conservative. It was, it was more than just that. Okay. Okay. So it, it kind of, it was, it was somewhat of a focus of the survey. Yes. And that's why it felt official in that way. Cause it seemed like whoever this was, was trying to get a gauge of the fandom. It did feel that way in the questions. Okay. And whereas where I'm reading his conclusions, and it feels like there's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy here where it's like, okay, I'm going into this trying to prove this, and I'm going to manipulate the data to reinforce my assumptions going in. That's that's the vibe I get from this now. Okay. I will not um... – We'll get to that, what I think about that in particular. I think we need to talk about more of the data before I give my comments on that, if this is you know, a, a sense of um, data dredging, as we might, we might define later. But okay, I, that's what I figured. It seems since he spent so much time, it makes sense that it was more of a focus of the questions on the survey. Um, I guess I should say I looked a little bit, but I could not find um, a copy of the actual survey. I felt that that wasn't super necessary because his report should contain enough information for it to be gleamed upon. Um, but I, I tried a little bit. That's why I was asking because I, I never really got to s- uh, see the actual survey. Mm. Yeah, I tried looking for it too, and I couldn't find it. Uh, okay, okay. So after this survey went out, after all the snowball sampling was completed, um, which which I should say as well, you know, even though I've listed major concerns with it, he he gives proper disclaimers as as well. I, I don't think they're as urgent sounding as the ones I would give, but he certainly states that you know there's some some problems with his data, but he runs with it. He runs with it because this is the data he has. This is a project that he's doing solely by himself to find out you know some some. Uh, instances of the Star Wars fandom, and that's where I want to go now. Yes, I have problems with the data, but let's just roll with it. Let's assume we have data and get into what he actually did with it. And the first thing he did with it, as any survey collector should, is peel off bad data. I'm doing air quotes there. Everybody has to define what they think is bad data 
for example, in life insurance data, it's um, miscoded information. For example, I've seen life insurance data where the, you know, someone who's aged 159 took out a policy of life insurance. That is an error. Nobody is 159 years old. And you better believe if they were, they would never get life insurance. So <laughs> he had to pull off bad data and he defined these as trolls. Not surprisingly, given the meaning of that term in, in the current uh, day and age. I wanted to mention a little bit about this. Um, first, that I have no problem with it. Data pruning, data management is an important first step. Yes, you're going to get bad data because people are bad at entering data. Um, and I, it's good. I'm glad he did this. I want to highlight, though, some of the things that he considered trollish and removed from the survey. So, of course, as I'm sure Zach can attest, there were a few um, sh uh, free response questions on this survey. You were able to type in, you know, up to a certain amount of characters to fill in whatever answer it was he was asking for. And among those were race, gender, and education. And apparently, someone took this survey, identified their race as Jawa, identified their gender as R2-D2, and identified their education as X-Wing fighter. That is, I don't know why, but I laughed out loud when I read this in this report. For some reason, education and then listing it as X-Wing fighter was insanely hilarious to me. I've seen bad data my whole life, but this might take the cake. That, that a ship is your level of education. Utili. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that raises the question, Zenger, if you'd had taken this survey, would you have listed your education, your race, and your gender as Star Destroyers? Yes, for Perfect. all of the above. It, for every, every response was Star Destroyer. <laughs> Political the beliefs. The problem with these movies was I wanted more Star Destroyers. Perfect. Well, there was the new order started. No! Not that garbage. <laughs> Uh, there were some gender trolling answers he saw. Um, there was one uh, pan-generic, not pan-gender, pan-generic, pan-generic bender fluid tomato part chair. Someone, uh, also, someone also put droid as gender, and Zach, we're not going to get into that, but I think that's more of a clever answer than a trollish answer. Zach's rolling clever. his eyes right now. <laughs> um, someone answered their referral was from ZocDoc. And that's like that's like an actual website where you would go to find like information or something. And I don't know if that's trollish or someone just got confused with what form they were filling out. But he removed all of this stuff as he should. So so that that was appropriate. I wanted to highlight some of those those trollish answers. And I guess I have to ask Zach, on a scale of ten to ten, how trollish were your answers? Very trollish, right? <laughs> I know at one point I put actually in the description of one of the things about, like, I think there was like a section for like, this is something I find interesting that he didn't mention. I, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but he actually had like a comment section. And I think he only references it once in the entire article in the part where he says something like, you can't be nostalgic for a dead cat if you never had a cat. Mm. He says something like that. Mm -hmm. He had one portion where he could like write like, what do you, like, what's your general take on the future of Star Wars? And I wrote like, just because somebody is conservative minded doesn't mean that they automatically hate Disney Star Wars. I find it interesting that he had an entire section where people could type in whatever he wa whatever you really wanted. Yeah, he doesn't reference that at all. 
And I know that's not with trolling or anything though, but I think that was yeah. another like that's something clearly where someone could write like 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 what he says and what I want. I'll bring up this later with Rock because I'm looking at some internet searches right now about this, people doing news stories on it. And I'm surprised that's a that's a really great opportunity for trolling like an open comment section. Yeah. And yet he doesn't reference that at all. And I would imagine maybe because it came at the very end of the survey, most of people saying that their sexual orientation was uh, Gungan. Maybe that's why <laughs> yes. we didn't get this. Maybe they even kind of gave up that far into it. Okay. But yeah. But I know when it comes to trolling, I I think most I can based on the political leanings, based mm-hmm. on his survey results, I think it's fair to say that the majority of people who took this took it seriously. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess that's supported by um, you know how many um, observations he peels off because. His total sample size before he peeled off his trolls was uh, 5,330, and when he cleaned up the data, he got down to 5,137. So that's a little less than 200 people that he actually felt were trollish. So that, yes. that's, that's, that's good for snowball circles. sampling. Oh, good. I'm glad Zenger's looking at the same spot in the notes. Good. Zenger's <laughs> up on class. Look at that. You get a gold star for that, Zenger. You need hey, 12 for anything meaningful. Hey, Zach, I got a gold star. What do you have? Not this rock. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, you know, that's pretty good. You, you know, even for snowball sampling, even for this topic, honestly, when I started reading about, you know, oh, Zach wants me to look into this Star Wars survey, I thought this was going to be riddled with trollish answers. But I was surprised to see that, you know, he didn't peel off that many, which is good because five little over five thousand for a sample size, even though with, you know, the poor structure of sampling, that's that's decent. That's interesting. That makes data worth looking at and talking about. So, you know, like I said, he's not a bad survey person. He just didn't I he might probably didn't have grant money to do this one. <laughs> so I think I want to go next into some of the actual results I want to talk about and maybe ask some opinions from the two uh, observations we have right here, the Knights of Vader, about what they think about about some of this stuff. Um, we'll talk about the statistical stuff as we get to it, of course, because I think that's just prevalent throughout the entire report, how I have some issues with when he reports statistical significance. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to mention right off the bat um, is that he reports a plot. If you're looking at the notes class, it's on page six of Rob's comments. Um, where he compares white and non-white respondents for the fan ratings of the movies, I believe. Um, he, he's looking at, you know, how would you rate the Star Wars saga to some extent? And he's looking, uh, or how would you rate your fandom for Star Wars? And he's looking at base for no- white and non-white. And I thought it was really interesting to see that these two graphs are nearly the same. That according to this plot, it seems like there really is no difference in Star Wars fanaticism across um, ethnicities, at least this binary um, separation. Now, of course, um, there is a a comment of mine directly above this graph that says, I highlighted a sentence and then said, AKA, I don't know what Simpsons Paradox is and I don't care. Whenever you group data, you should always be wary. That's when Simpsons Paradox comes into play. You're losing a lot of trends and associations when you group data together. But still, this grouping, I think, is interesting to see that they're so similar. Um, is this anything that was suspected to be different? It, has the Star Wars fandom ever been divided by race, or at least white versus non-white before? That's something I haven't heard too much about. I've heard more of the sexism, I mean, not really the racial aspect of it. I, I've i never looked at it that way, but to be fair, I, I've never 
perceive Star Wars on that level, but I know people that do. Yes, uh, yes. I'm in the same field. I've never thought of Star Wars that way at all. Because Star Wars is it's something that race and stuff like that don't seem to have a have any bearing on in, in that universe, per se. Great. I, I agree with you guys. This is the same thing I never really would have thought about this, you know, separating by race. Um, of course, studies do it. You know, like he mentions in the survey, the MPAA and all these other organizations, they try and separate, you know, um, movie going statistics by race, as most companies do. Anything making money, they want to know how to appeal to certain demographics. But I, I'm glad you guys kind of say that because that's how I feel. You know, I, I look at these graphs and I'm like, what does it matter? You know, like did like I never really thought it, there was no issue with it's like, oh, Star Wars is for white people or Star Wars is for non-white people. Um, so I'm glad we're in agreement there. The other thing I want to comment is I could feel it, even though we're all not in the same room. I asked that question about race and there was like a clear moment where both of you were like, oh, God, who's going to answer first? <laughs> <laughs> so I love that we're treading dangerous territory here for Knights of Vader. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm not trying to defend myself, but at the same time, I've always, like, if someone ever brings up a race involving Star Wars, I'm like, it, it's not a thing in those movies. It, yeah. I, I never I never gathered that from it. I've never seen it as something that is, like, a prevalent thing. I mean, there's, I mean, there's characters of all variety. I mean, yes, the Empire is mostly white, but. And British, Besides, right? <laughs> yeah, white and British. So, so yeah, yeah I, I, I have to agree with you. Like, you know, whenever I think of Star Wars, be it the prequels, be it the originals, be it the new ones, I always think of like, you know, you got your cantina scenes where there's just literally like every species seems to be represented and everybody's OK with it. Except what? A New Hope. They say they don't serve droids or something like that. That's, Rightfully yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a hard stance right now on droids. They are not people. They should not have emotions. But I need to hold myself back. We're not getting Beep to that today. trash can. <laughs> <laughs> so Good the next it. thing, the next thing I want to mention is um, on page seven. Uh, there's two plots on page seven. I think Zach already mentioned one already. Political attitudes. Most of the people that took this survey are more liberal leaning. Fine. I'm more interested in actually the second plot on this, which is self-reported fandom. As Zach mentioned before, you know, they asked a question on a scale of one to ten, rate what you think of Star Wars, like just Star Wars as a whole, it seems. And, of course, in this survey where people got to choose if they take it or not, so we got tons of bias there, the majority of the people that took this survey love Star Wars. Like, it's crazy. Eight, nines, and tens are those ratings. And that makes up, you know, over 60% of the sample. I'm interested in if what if we took a sample of everybody? Do you think that, of course, this would shift a little bit? We would see people rating, uh, more people rating Star Wars less. But I find it kind of a bummer that this sample isn't representative of the whole population because I think it's actually interesting. If we could measure the entire world and be like, you know, what is your fanaticism rating on star wars i think it might look a little similar to this graph you know left skewed a lot of high ratings it really is a worldwide phenomenon am i wrong in saying that i guess that's the problem is that we don't know we need, we need grant money <laughs> well, well i think even disney doesn't know because like there's stories going around right now even with star wars galaxy's edge that well by the time everybody's hearing this it'll be a week and a half ago but now it's just monday that in california they finally like 
the, the month of reservations to get into Galaxy's Edge stopped, and basically anybody can go in there now. And they have they have something like a virtual. If it gets too full, they have a virtual queue, so you have to kind of like go to other parts of Disneyland and like after like a, ver- a wait, kind of like when you go to a restaurant, and they give you one of those little buzzers. It's the equivalent <laughs> of that. Yeah. And but I've heard stories that like Galaxy's Edge in California isn't as full as it should be. Considering they've been hyping this up for how many years now, like it's it's surprisingly movable. Like you can, add, it's not as like cramped and just like oh good lord, we need another plague. It's not that like level of cramped. Okay, so you're, like, when you say full, you mean in terms of attendance? Yeah, capacity. Gotcha. Okay. And the, the the million dollar question is: Is it a because people have been told for the last three four years now the lines are going to be so horrible? Wait like six months to a year before you go. Or is it, it? It's like it's Star Wars. We've done this before. There's been Star Wars Disney theme parks now for almost for for thirty years. It's like mm-hmm. what is like? There's nothing Star Warsy about Galaxy's Edge other than it has the logo slapped on it. Nothing oh, in Galaxy's okay. Edge screams Star Wars. And plus, Star Wars. I think even in this uh, report, he says Star Wars is a mature brand. Yep. And yeah, mature co- cultural product, I think, is his act- actual words. Yeah, he and, definitely and, punches that up. And he's not wrong there, because that's the million-dollar question of Star Wars. How how can you sustain a 40-plus-year-old property where you have the same company churning out a newer, hipper version of the same sort of themes yep. that get people hot and bothered? Again, like I've said numerous times, kids these days don't care about Han Solo. They have Han Solo in the form of Chris Pratt's Star-Lord. They do not need Harrison Ford. And that's and that's kind of the thing. Is Star Wars is popular worldwide? We don't know. Clearly, China doesn't think it's as great as we do. Mm-hmm, it seems, mm-hmm. for the most part, that the U.S. the U.S. will always have a hankering for Star Wars that the rest of the world quite doesn't. That's not yeah. to say that Star Wars isn't as popular in other uh, locales around the world. Again, there are there are specific regions that that dig Star Wars as much as North America does. But uh, no, I would say that the idea that Star Wars, like, like looking at the graph right now, and the fact that yes, obviously the majority of the answers hover around eight, eight through ten out of ten, it's the idea that considering the survey was mostly shared around diehards, it's mm-hmm. kind of shocking that it's not hovering more around like nine and ten, and it goes as far as eight. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really interesting. And you bring up some good points in there that I wouldn't have thought about. That's exactly what I'm looking for. We need better data on this. We need better information. And it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, not even Disney has this. They're still trying to figure out what to do with Star Wars. Well, that's the weird thing is that Disney Disney is a company that relies on focus group and market, market research for everything. Nothing can ever be made in the vacuum. You can't shoot from the hip. And when they do shoot from the hip, you get The Last Jedi and you get a you get a I'm gonna, I know I'm going to make people mad when I say this, but you have a vocal minority that gets very upset about this, and they sit there, they throw a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing is that they're, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They, they don't want – and that's what Ga- – Galaxy's Edge is the proof of we don't want old Star Wars. We want new Star Wars. We, want, we don't want people talking about a 40-year-old film anymore. We want people talking about new stuff. And yet at the same okay. time – we're going to sit there, shove Darth Vader's melted helmet into this. We're going to bring back the Emperor. Yeah. We're going to have resurrected Luke Skywalker. And it's like, you can't do both when they conflict with each other. There's only so much room at the, at the table, and they're trying to have, have their cake and eat it too. And it's just impossible. 
again, that's the again, again, rise of Skywalker aside. That's a conversation for another day. Sure, but uh, sure. yes, it's the idea that I don't think again Disney. Disney, what do you think? That's the fun thing about this is that like like I would imagine somebody at Lucasfilm probably looked at these survey results too. I would imagine they have their finger on the pulse of this just to figure it's it's free. Oh, it's yeah. free research, but they they are paying for this on a much more grandiose level than this than this person could ever dream of. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that would be some interesting data to look at for yes. sure. Yes, folks. Disney is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this properly. Again, you don't spend like a billion dollars on a theme park land on a whim. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they, they're expecting a return on their money for sure. There's no snowball effect in the Disney market research team. <laughs> yeah, they have, they have actual probabilistic samples. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh man. So the next thing I want to mention um, in this first part that we've been focusing on, he does some what he calls scale validation and sanity checks. Some of the stuff he does in here is good. Um, he he reaches out to Mechanical Turk, which is an actual way to get good data, and he kind of compares his his MTurk data to his non MTurk data. So that's an actual good validation check. But then he goes on to check compare some of his data to you know publications from the '90s and the early 2000s. And like I said before, I'm not a survey statistician. I'm not a social psychologist. I don't know if that's the norm. Like if, if this, this paper from the 60s or, you know, the 50s to the 90s, these things that he cite, if that's okay to do because they've never been updated. But I know in my field of cybersecurity, if you cite something, you know, more than three years old, you get laughed at because that's how fast the, the technology changes. That, so it might be a different field, but I found it a little weird where he's taking this, this poor sample and he's comparing it to check that he has good, to some sense, data with studies from you know the mid-90s and stuff like that. So it, it's a little strange, but the whole kind of conclusion of that first section is he gets some, some matchups. At least he thinks he's seeing what he expects to see. Um, I write, AKA, I wanted to make sure the results are as I expect before writing a blog post about them. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's just what I think, you know, researchers do is you, you're not going to publish anything that isn't significant. And, and that's a problem with academic research, but that's a story for another time. Well, that's, okay. That's my question I have for this though. And considering you're the expert here is that it's kind of like the, I think Zenger can relate to this premise. It's like watching one of those Bigfoot hunting shows. The people go into the woods looking for Bigfoot. They hear a twig snap. It must be Bigfoot, and that's mm, kind of what I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the vibe I'm getting from this. Like we're going into this with a very clear assumption of what we want to get out of it. We collect a bunch of data. Say, okay, this is what I'm want to prove, and here it is. And I think I think now since we talked about a little bit more of the structure of the data, I'm, I will I will chime in on this, and I have to say that I agree for the most part. I think you know he, he it's it's no question that Mark White is aware that his sample is non-representative and has a large amount of uncertainty in it because of his sampling technique. He's aware of this, but at the same time, he just rolls with it. He says, I have data about sexism, about politics, things that are buzzwords today, and I'm going to make some graphs and tell a story about them. And, and that seems like what it is. And I think when you have such a sampling technique that only gets the people who are really passionate about the fandom to some extent, that, that's the data you need to publish stuff about this. So I think there's, there's bias coming at this from every direction. Um, it's interesting to talk about, but I think it all comes back to, you know, we cannot extend this any further. Anything we say about these results only apply to the 5,000 and plus people that took this survey. We can't say anything about the Star Wars fandom in general. 
Yeah, because I'm looking. I typed this into Google, hoping maybe somebody like like saved a version of the survey. Survey, mm-hmm. and we found a couple like questions people would like quote in like different like forums and stuff. Okay, and, and you look at some of the articles that were written after after he published his results, and these are these are some of the titles of the articles. Star Wars fan survey claims the last Je- Jedi haters more likely to be sexist and anti PC. Another article, Star Wars fan survey claims the Last Jedi haters more likely to be sexist and anti-PC. Star Wars fan survey claims Last Jedi hate is based on political beliefs. Okay, yeah. And then it's like, okay, clear. I, I would imagine when he, again, this is my own speculation, but I have a feeling that when you're doing this and you're typing this up, those headlines start to pop into your mind. I I have to agree. Uh, I Once again, you know, like I said, I'm no social psychologist. I don't study what this uh, mark white studies but that's what they're going for you know they they want people people like the statisticians or otherwise that use data they want to make waves they want to say something with their data and you know i think that's that's exactly his motivation for doing the survey and writing you know all these um plots and analyses about them so i'm in total agreeance I'm, right. I'm not i'm not saying that that's you know that's that. That's almost the norm. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of researchers do. Um, you know, there's a huge problem with reproducibility of published articles. And like I said before, you know, no one's going to publish something that isn't significant. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, that's not just Mark White's fault. That's I think just the the field of research and academic articles is you know you're you're kind of you're forced to publish. You're forced to have something meaningful all the time, and people don't realize that sometimes you know anti-results are almost as important as results kind of if that makes any sense all right because there's something something interesting i just found i found an article titled star wars author claudia gray disavows sexist star wars star wars survey star wars author claudia gray disavowed the recent star wars survey claiming fans who did not like the last jedi are sexist Claudia Gray's written numerous Star Wars novels, blah, blah, blah. Back in May, Gray promoted a survey from her social scientist, oh, from social scientist Mark White, and it says uh, the results, blah, 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 blah. The results of that survey were just released recently, and White concluded that, quote, some people might have been predisposed to hate The Last Jedi, regardless of the film's quality, due to the main female characters demonstrating skill, bravery, and leadership, end quote. In fact, White concluded that his, quote, data support the excess anecdotal evidence, tweets, comments, articles, that sexism plays a major role in the backlash to Disney sequels, end quote. However, as my colleague Spencer Bakuli points out, White's small sample size of 5,000, with 27% of the respondents being anonymous Twitter users, the conclusions reached by this survey tell us little about the general opinions of the overreaching Star Wars fandom. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So, yes. Yeah, so Rob, Rob's not alone here, folks. Rob isn't a lone wolf kind of screaming in, <laughs> screaming in the distance. <laughs> right on. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I'm, I, I expected that, and I'm thankful that there are other people realizing these things. So, great. <laughs> yeah. It says, since White Survey's conclusions and his message, methods have gone public, Gray publicly denounced the survey on her Twitter with her assistant named Sarah taking the blame for promoting it. In Gray's tweet, allegedly from her assistant Sarah, she implies White's survey is illegitimate. Quote, I thought the poll was coming from a legit source, though I did not take the survey before posting. I did not do my due diligence on this matter, and I'm sorry. She then apologized and made clear that Gray does not endorse the survey. I am sorry for any anger or pain I may have caused. Claudia Gray does not endorse that survey, and I am fully to blame. Finally, she concluded that she hopes to learn from the mistake. 
This is radically different behavior from a Star Wars creator than what we have seen in the past. It can provide hope for many fans who were previously attacked by those employed by Disney and Lucasfilm. Oh, good lord! Okay, and that becomes a rest of it becomes a thing about how Ryan Johnson uh, oh, raped, okay. raped Ryan Johnson raped everybody's childhoods. Um, <laughs> okay. Interesting. Well, wow. that that's really interesting that she denounced it. Uh, I'm I'm glad you told me that because I don't think I would have found out otherwise. That's really really interesting and good for her for catching it. You know, this is definitely something I wouldn't want to you know hold in high regard like it exists and there's results and we can talk about it like i said in terms of this these five thousand people but just like you said zach you you said you were kind of like misled to think this was more official than it actually was and it's interesting to hear that others were as well almost yeah so it seems like this entire again I, I, this is probably going to reiterate rob's point of this entire survey is bunk yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well in, in terms of in terms of inferential statistics totally bunk in terms of descriptive statistics about these 5,000 people perfectly fine <laughs> <laughs> it's par for the course so before we we get into some of the specific questions i did want to mention or bring up um the last bit that's discussed in his intro in part one um he he talks about the data for just attitudes towards movies specific episodes of the star wars saga and so apparently on the survey he asked everybody to rate each of the movies um you know all originals prequels and sequels so all eight films so far on a scale of one to ten and i think this is something statisticians always do where it's like you know something is very obvious to natural human intuition but you still need data to support it even knowing that people love The Empire Strikes Back, I was kind of surprised to see that over 60% of respondents gave Empire Strikes Back a perfect 10 as their rating. Is there there's really that much love for it? Like, I knew there was love for it. I didn't know it was, like, that skewed to perfect 10 status. I was thinking about this while I was re-watching it for my movie marathon thing from a couple weeks ago. Oh, sure. And I was watching it, and I don't get the weird hard-on there is for The Empire Strikes Back. I do not get get it. Like, Empire is a very well-made film. Mm-hmm. It, it enhances the source material. It enhances the original film. You wouldn't have probably the rest of Star Wars without it. But to, to look at this film as if it's this magnum opus. Like, sure. it's good. Like, it's a very well-made film. But to, like... Ugh, I know there are people out there. It's this weird thing we've talked about before that used to be there are only three good Star Wars films. Yeah. And then it got boiled down into there are only two good Star Wars films. And and now it's you can almost make a case based on this is that there's only one good Star Wars film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even A New Hope, the people that rated that a perfect 10 is about 40%. 20, over 20% less than for Empire Strikes Back. I, I was surprised to see that. Yeah, I don't. I again, that, that's a, that's part of the. You know, we've made abundantly clear this is not representative of Star Wars as a whole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This this is one of those things where I think we could, you know, it's probably wrong to do in any sort of uh, a professional sense. I think you can infer that for most of the again gut feeling, infer that most of the fandom probably shares this opinion. The Empire Strikes Back is just this infallible work of art, and it's a good movie during the star Wars marathon. We kind of lost track of that during last week's conversation, 
But as I was watching this, those films, I kind of was expecting almost like, and I don't want to get too far away from, from the survey, but like I was expecting almost like a religious level experience seeing the original trilogy on the big screen. Okay. And I have to say, I was underwhelmed. Mm. Like I, it's like, yes, I've seen these films dozens upon dozens yeah. of times, but like, I figured, oh, it'd be so cool seeing the Bespin duel. And I was like, oh, it, it's there. It's like neat, but it's like, oh, sure. the Battle of Hoth. Neat. It's there. And it's funny that like out of the three to three films, I had the most fun watching Return of the Jedi on the big screen. I think that film is definitely nice. enhanced on a big screen. And I know Rob might have dealt into Return of the Jedi a lot on this podcast. But yeah, like I said I, I don't get the Empire thing. Like I think a lot of it too, and again, lesson things that we can I guess it's more antidote antidotal lessons to be inferred from this not anything mm-hmm. to be directly pulled from this survey is that i think there's star wars fandom has a serious problem of the echo chamber ah uh, okay now i think that can be taken in two different forms here the first being empire's the best film no empire empire's the best film empire's the greatest film empire is star wars then we have ruin johnson ruined my star wars <laughs> ruin johnson <laughs> You go if you've listened to this podcast since the last Jedi came out, and you listen to it in chronological order. People's opinion on this podcast, and I, I think it's fair to say they're not currently on the podcast right now. They were lukewarm on the last Jedi, and then over the weeks, months, year plus, their opinion changed on it. Okay, and okay. I think a lot of that is like I don't know how many people watch a movie. And then watch it again, whether it be a day, week, month later, and their opinion gets worse on it, like drastically worse. I, 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 Rob and I recently, no, it won't be out for roughly three weeks from now, did an episode, record an episode on the Amanda show starring Amanda Bynes. Oh, God. And, <laughs> why? Why is this coming up, Zach? Make your point quick. <laughs> and we watched it, and we were like, we both were excited to talk about it, and we like we hadn't watched it in like at least I know Rob watched it in the last like eight, nine years. I hadn't watched it in at least fifteen years for the most part. And we watched it and we agreed that it was absolutely horrible in retrospect. Like it is just garbage television. Oh and, yeah. <laughs> and I and I get how someone's opinion on something can deteriorate over like five to ten years, if not longer. I don't get how you watch a movie in December, be like that was all right. And then a month later, be like the director of this film fornicated my childhood. I don't know how you go from one extreme to the other without the internet echo chamber playing a role into it. And I think that might be the lesson I take away from this survey okay. is that the I, internet, the internet echo chamber plays a big role in things, not just star Wars. Yes. I love the point you just brought up. And I actually want to jump to something to, to play off of that point. One of the questions he specifically asks. And before we jump there next, I wanted to tell Zenger that the, the movie with the lowest mean score is attack of the clones. In As it should be. <laughs> As it should be. It has been put in its rightful place. <laughs> I knew. I figured you would love that. Um, but no, Zach, what you're saying, what you're saying about the echo chamber of um, of today's age, almost, of the last Jedi disowners, to use that cluster name we mentioned before, I actually want to skip ahead to, I believe it's, um, it is in part two. I want to talk about the question that was asked on this survey it said, do you care what critics think about Star Wars? And there was another question, do you care 
about what other fans think of Star Wars. And for the cluster of The Last Jedi disowners, they were very, very much, we don't care. Like, they answered not at all to caring about what critics think. But it's completely flipped. The Last Jedi disowners say, 40% of them about, say that they care about fans somewhat. And 18% say they care about fans a great deal. So I think that gets to your point exactly, Zach, that the people who didn't like Last Jedi for whatever reason, they kind of fed off of each other almost because they said, oh, critics and other, that doesn't matter. We just want to, you know, be yes men with each other. That's the feeling I always got. And this kind of survey supports that a little bit. This, this sample does. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of that because I've said it numerous times on here. I know I got into fights with people back when Solo came out. Was the whole thing's like, folks, The Last Jedi made $600 million in the US. It made $1.3 billion worldwide. I know a lot of people think because it went from $2 billion to $1.3 from Force Awakens. It's like, oh man, that's, that's erosion. It's like the middle Star Wars film has always been the weakest in box office wise. It's always the lull financially. Okay. And I think that's the thing about, again, it's the Star Wars thing. I think, I think they're also, as we've learned from YouTube, there is a – it's funny because they say we don't care what critics think. Well, who's a critic? Is, exactly. Is, is the guy from the New York Times a critic? Is the guy from uh, MediaWebsite.com a critic? Is the YouTube channel a media critic? Mm-hmm. Who who are we going to pick as our allies here? Who are we going to throw under our bus because we're throwing a temper temper tantrum? And that's kind of again, that's the survey I want to see. I don't care what the fandom thinks about Star Wars. If you're mad enough to go on the internet and watch a 25 minute long video about why Ryan Johnson did bad things to your childhood on the dolly, it's like it's like <laughs> you love Star Wars. Like again, I hate Jurassic World. I've never watched a why Colin Madman Trevorrow ruined my childhood. I don't care. I do not like that movie. And that's it. I don't think about it because it's just that's it. Never mind. Mm. It's a funny bit to bring up on this podcast occasionally. If <laughs> yeah. you're if you're going to sit there just 100 percent, it's like, OK, I don't like this term, but I think it's oddly the most appropriate way to describe what's going on with The Last Jedi. And I think Rob's going to like this. It's the term hate something. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I'm well well familiar <laughs> with that concept. <laughs> it's it, basically it's the extreme form of like hate watching something. These people hate Star Wars to almost like a fixation level. They hate yeah, they hate the I'm last Jedi. It's, it's an it's an obsession almost. It seems. And that's what it is. It's a weird. It's what happened during the prequels, and that's why when again when Solo came out, and it was when in the aftermath, Ground Zero of the Last Jedi. The exact same arguments to why Ruin Johnson ruined our childhoods were the same ones that were in the People versus George Lucas. Okay. And I've told people can, that. Can I can I say something real quick? And I feel it's something I brought up before, but I just want to reiterate it again here. How does Last Jedi ruin your childhood? How does it ruin the other movies? Did he go in and edit the other movie? No, he he took a character that's what thirty plus year a thirty year old character thirty year old character that we left. And then did something that people didn't like. If you don't like that, you can still go watch the original. I mean, yeah, the original trilogy and Luke's still the hero. Luke's still the good guy that for some reason is wearing black and choking people in the the Jedi. But whatever. Just saying. Just want to point that out. I have to agree with you, Zanger. I've I've always been kind of confused about the concept of ruining a childhood. 
as I, I don't think I, I don't think I've actually ever said this to Zach. Even it's it's never really come up on Cinemodities, but I'm glad we can say it here. Like as far as I'm this concerned, this is a safe space, not yeah. like that other show. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, everybody's childhood was ruined by their parents. It's no, it's not a movie director's <laughs> fault. It's not a musician's <laughs> fault. It was your damn parents' fault. They ruined your childhood. And they guess let what? You watch it, that. <laughs> it can't be ruined retroactively. You know, nothing that happens once you're not a child is going to ruin your childhood. <laughs> so yeah, I'm with you. It makes no sense to me. I yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, oh my gosh, I go back to this. I, I go to this well so often. The the like uh, pulley system's like worn out, and the rope just sits there on the side, and I have to pull the bucket up that way. Um, and there's barely any stones left around the top. <laughs> like that's, that's, uh, that's, that's how worn out the well is. I'm about to go to the Michael Bay transformers. Are those the transformers I grew up with? No, I have said a million times. The definitive transformers for me is the 1986 cartoon. Yeah. And, and, but does anything they do with transformers ruin it for me? No. If they went and did a re-edit of that movie, and then we're like, we're not going to show you any other copies of this. We're going to come to your house and take the other copies you have. And this is the only copy you can accept now. Then, yes, that would ruin my childhood somehow. But are they going to do that? I don't think Lucas was involved. So I think I'm safe with this one. But, no, I mean, that's that's my thing is everything that you love about Star Wars still exists yeah. there. You can still go watch it and enjoy it. The, the I mean, I'm trying to think of other stuff. Like, yes, Mass Effect 3 had a bad ending that required EA to have to go back and everyone freaking, oh, this is awful and blah, 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 and everyone was ticked off. I didn't care. It, it's about the journey, not the destination. That doesn't retroactively ruin the hundreds of hours I put into the game beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. And that's... That's the thing that I just scratched my head about. Also, I wanted to say this earlier, but I think I was muted or I just forgot to say something. When did Star Wars become political enough to where, like, that's a thing you have to kind of bring up along with? And I, I know that the answer is something that's an obvious thing, but I just wanted to say I've never had a political conversation ab around Star Wars until recently. It kind of gets brought up. And I'm like, where does this come from? I obviously know, but it's just one of those things. It's like I've never taken star wars as a political thing ever before in my life i i agree completely i think i feel the same way as we mentioned earlier you know we've never thought about star wars in terms of you know race relations it's always been like it's just you know that's that's not an impact to the movies yeah i think star wars as i know it is one of the best examples of like black and white like bad guy good guy type of story yes. and that's the furthest thing from political well and, and the and the other thing is there's not there's no mention of the solo movie. There's no mention of Rogue One. There's kind of mentions of I I mean just looking over stuff. There's kind of sure, mention I think yep. of the cartoon and stuff here. It's it's one of those things to where there's so many elements to Star Wars that this this survey and I know that's something you're probably gonna get to is very fixated on wanting to get an answer out of the answer that they want to get an answer. They know the answer they want to get, so they're making the survey give them the answer they want. Yep. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I, I know no, that makes better perfect that. sense. I think because I think that uh, you have said it. I have said it. Now, Zach has said the same concept in three different ways. <laughs> he yeah, was I mean, that's, looking for some story. That's to the tell. thing that frustrates me about this. I don't look at certain, but it's like if you're making a survey that gives you the response you want just so you can say, look, I did it. 
that's not a biased survey. You are creating a situation that you can then manipulate to get the answer you want just so you can say, I'm right, you're wrong, ha, 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 ha. And that's the thing. I, I said, the race relations, the, the political stuff, never something I equate to Star Wars, ever, mm-hmm. until, like I said, more recently. But it, and, and that's the thing with the survey. If I was taking a Star Wars survey that had that, I'd be like, what does this matter? Oh, my God, am I accidentally signing up my voter registration and they tricked me with a Star Wars survey? <laughs> like, that would be my first thought if, if I started okay. seeing political stuff floating around in it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Absolutely. It's almost, you know, uh, strange to a lot of people. I think that that might have come across better if this was, you know, if the sample was collected appropriately, if we actually had a good representative part of the Star Wars fandom, whatever that means. I think that's you can't define a good sample until you actually know what the Star Wars fandom is. And as I think we've already discussed, no one really knows that. Well, it's, Zach, it's there's problems with it. Yeah. Zach pointed out a very interesting thing on the um, last episode we recorded. No clue when it's coming out um, <laughs> in that regard. So I don't know what to say, but it's the one discussing when he went to the movies and there was people that they're like, Oh, I love Star Wars. And, Zach, of course, asked them stuff and they're like, Oh yeah, I've like watched it like once or twice. In my mm. lifetime. Not once or twice this year. Once or twice in my lifetime. But I love Star Wars. It's like, that's the thing. You you have people who, like, and that's that's not a problem to be a Star Wars fan in that regard. I have no problem with that. It's just, I come from a realm to where I've watched several movies. Like, movies I love, I will watch several times. Sure. And that's the thing. And is it weird to me that someone's like, oh, I love this movie. How many times have you seen it? Ah, oh, once. Gotcha. It's, it's like, okay, cool. My level of fandom is, I love this movie. I watch it like on a yearly basis, and it's just like I said, it's it's just interesting how like I don't think that's in this survey anywhere. Of like, like how many times would you watch a Star Wars movie in a year in a given year? That's a really good point. Yeah, they don't they don't ask about rewatchability at all, and and that's that's awesome because you know in some of these in reading through this. I have a list of confounding variables. It's variables he does not account for that would explain some of these relationships. And that's another one. Your your kind of severity of fandom based on how often you watch the movies. That's a great question, that, Zanger. That's that's the thing. It's it's if someone says I'm a diehard Star Wars fan, I love it, this, that, and the other. How many times do you watch Star Wars? Oh, once or twice in my lifetime. Exactly. You're yeah, still yeah. a dedicated fan in your own regards. There's nothing that says that you're because, I mean, yes, are we all gym and go get dressed up and do the 501st stuff? No. Does that make us less Star Wars fans in that regard? No. It's your dedication is your own parameter on how much of a fan you are. Mm-hmm. And that's the exactly. thing. It's, it's the survey doesn't – I it, it it looks for an answer at once, and it gets it, and it's, and it sits there and touts it around like, like, like it's done a good job when it's like, no, you've, you've done an awful thing. That's a – yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, it makes me think, like, Zach knows, and I, I might have mentioned on here before, I have some Star Wars toys when I was Reese. younger. Reese and Squidhead, yes. I actually have Squidhead, like, with me physically these days. It's in my apartment in I, Colorado. I, I hold him. <laughs> I hold him. <laughs> I got the gun and everything and the felt cape. It's awesome. Um, but, but no, I, I think that, you know, you're hitting the nail exactly on the head because there's so much definitions in this survey that are kind of glossed over. Like we said, Star Wars fans, Star Wars fandom. What does that really mean? You can't you can't collect good data until we define these things. And I don't think anybody has. So you're bringing up some great points here. Absolutely. Yeah, 
More points. <laughs> more, more gold stars for Zenger. There's your second gold star. Ten to go. Just bring him in. Bring him in. <laughs> Give him me. So, yeah, Zach, any, any thoughts of, about any of that? He's dumbfounded. No, you've been... spoken. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad. Uh, no, like I said, you, you've delved into a lot, so it's hard to cherry pick without going off in like Absolutely. a dozen different directions. Going back to the political thing, I've always wondered about this. And I think just in the last couple of months, I finally figured out the uh, why politics has been brought into Star Wars. I don't mean that as in the movies. I mean just into the overall Star Wars fan it's base. not really – I mean – Yes, there's politics in the movies, but... No, nah, well, no, I don't... Well, that's the thing, though, is I don't... Uh, well, this is the problem, though, with Disney. Is I, think, that, I look, think you said it correctly, Zach, when you say that it's bleeding into the fan base, not the movies as much, right? Well, yes and no, because it's just... People have to learn how to partition things. And I've gotten, like I said, arguments, debates with people... Like I've been in person with people, and they'll say things like, uh, "Can like I'm not going to watch the Last Jedi or Solo because of what the producer said." And infamously, like Kathleen Kennedy has said, "I owe nothing to the male Star Wars fans." The the time she wore the Force's female T-shirt, people have to learn. You have to separate these producers and the nonsense they say on a red carpet. From what's in the the actual film that you're watching on the big screen, you have mm-hmm. to separate those. The same way that, like, when Zenger, like, it's think about this. Like, Zenger says, "I love Porgs. I don't like Venator class Star Destroyers." If <laughs> Zenger's the one that, like, again, I don't want to delve too far into what Zenger does for a living, but let's say you receive what Zenger does at his work and be like, calls up the business he works for, be like, "I'm not going to buy your products because I don't agree with his stance on on Star Destroyers." It's like, <laughs> no, you have to partition these things, and I think that's part of it is that people don't know how to separate these things. I think it happened to John Kasdan, the uh, the writer for Solo, where he made some comment about. Uh, something, something about like all the girls that rejected me in high school and who, and who I'm still not over the rejection. And the, the SJW part of the Star Wars fan base was, was out for his throat. And it's like, folks, the guy made a comment. He was not demeaning anybody. Yeah, and, it's, and a, it's, a, it's a personal experience comment that gets like brought to some grand level of generalization and stereotyping. And it's, yes. it's not appropriate. Yeah. And I think that goes for anybody, whether it be John Kasdan being jumped on by the SJWs or Kathleen Kennedy being jumped on by the Nutma Star Wars crowd. It's like, folks, ignore them. Their opinions on this doesn't matter. And I think the part of the politics being brought into Star Wars, and I think you two both already alluded to it, it's the idea that it's the fan base that's been perverted by politics. because. Both sides of the political spectrum have have learned that Star Wars is such a monumental thing in the culture of at least the U.S. I don't want to talk about the world because I don't know that much about international affairs or how that bleeds into Star Wars. But at least in the U.S., North America, it's been – Star Wars is so monumental. People figure if I can pervert this to my political leanings, I can conquer – I can win part of the culture war. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the issue here is that you have uh, people again, there are again, I, the only time I've ever seen Star Wars in the Disney era getting political is Ray. I think Ray for a small portion of The Force Awakens, the reason why Ray is so good at everything is that they want a strong, powerful female character and did not want to 
waste isn't the right word. It did not want to give up precious, precious minutes of runtime to just seeing Ray train. Nobody wants to waste sure. Star Wars film watching Ray upside down trying to lift rocks as R2D2 beeps and boops in the corner. <laughs> Nobody, especially JJ Abrams, does not want to slow down a film with that sort of exposition he doesn't want to do because it's not necessary but the problem is that you can interpret that those sort of or those lack of scenes two different ways you can interpret it as jj is a very lean efficient filmmaker everything is quick 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 it's very brisk filmmaking it's brisk editing or you can interpret it as jj is very clearly a a hollywood-esque feminist women can do no wrong women are are, are the, the grander sex of the two in a very political sense. That sort of ideology then bleeds into the into the movie. Like JJ Abrams has made it very clear based on who he hosts political fundraising dinners for, who he believe or who his political yes. candidates are. And I'm not judging him on that. He can he can vote and host raise money for whoever he wants. I don't care. But at the same time though is that a component of the story? If Ray's going to be an all-powerful force wielder, should we have some sort of buildup that at least explains that? Not that we need to have another scene of her uh, lifting rocks, mm-hmm. but we do need some sort of buildup. And I think that's where you have the divide, where you d- we don't know what to believe. Because we are so hyper-partisan, yet because Disney Star Wars is so uh, close, is close-guarded, it's the idea of we don't know what to believe. So both sides of the political spectrum can come in and say, aha, this is why this is the way it is. And the other side can go, nah, that's why this is. It's yeah. like what happened after Solo Bomb. Both sides were taking credit for it. The not my Star Wars side was saying, see, people are rejecting Disney Star Wars. Whereas the SJWs were saying, see, this is the first Star Wars film, the Disney era that features a male Protagon- a male white protagonist And it's bombing People mm. want diversity And guess what We don't know And I still think the reason why Solo bombed Was because nobody cares about the prequel to a 40 year old character yep. And, yep. and that's what it is Is that people People are too busy sticking out a political Point rather than looking at the practical Nature of all this And the sad thing is that we get And, we get, and the result of all this is getting a survey like this Yeah Yeah you make some great points in there Absolutely Feel like I could more accurately do this survey if I just grabbed people on the street and shook them and asked them where my kid was. Well, you're not wrong. That's just what um, literally better than snowball sampling. So, so good job, Zinger. Yeah. (laughs) Another. There's your third third gold star. Shaking people on the street is better than (laughs) snowball sampling. (laughs) Zinger, you're doing it. You're like what? A quarter of the way there. Yeah, nine to go. We're what an hour and a half into this, folks. He's so close. <laughs> and maybe nine rate. hours in nine hours <laughs> yeah. in he'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah, great. No, I'm glad. This is great discussion. This is exactly what I was hoping to get from you guys who know about the fandom, I think, better than I do, and probably better than this sample does. Um but only by the, a only by, only by a little, yeah, really. Well, it's pretty much unquantifiable because everything this we have bad data. This has bad data. It's a it's a lose lose across it, the board. It's it's a jerk of disincompetence. <laughs> 
All right, Rob, where are we heading to next after that? All right. So next, I have some more results I want to talk about. We kind of jumped around a little bit from what I was planning, talking about that caring about critics, caring about fans question. But before we get any further, I wanted to state something else. Another major criticism I have of this survey, at least this report, um, he mentions it. Like I've already said, Mark White gives proper disclaimers. Uh, He says he does not dive into the details of his statistical analyses And if you have any questions about them, you can email him. I have not emailed him yet, but you better believe I have soon. Oh, yeah, soon. You better believe that I will. And I have questions about some of the things he says in this report. He frequently uses uh, or he frequently refers to clustering algorithms. And at one point specifically on page 11 of the notes, he refers to. He says, I ran several standard clustering algorithms. There is no such thing as a standard clustering algorithm. My research is a a big part of my research is comparing clustering algorithms. There is no such thing as a standard one. So if you're looking at my notes, I ask K-means, K-metoids, X-means, supervised ML, neural net, unsupervised ML, FPCA, PCA. We need more data. Even though he does not describe his clustering algorithm, and he doesn't even tell us what he clusters on, which is even more egregious. He doesn't tell us how he creates these groups. He gets three groups. And he already mentioned them, or I already mentioned them earlier, when I asked for some self-assignment from the other Knights of Vader. We have prequel skeptics, saga lovers, and the last Jedi disowners. So, if uh, class, if you turn your copy books to page 11 of the notes, <laughs> you will see a, a graph that shows the, the ratings, the histograms of ratings for each of the eight movies discussed in this study split up by these clusters. This is a really common statistical analysis, and I guess before we dive into what these clusters are, I should say that, you know, he he states it explicitly. Um, I'm going to quote him right now. I came up with the name for each cluster by looking at the distribution of scores, presumably, for each film. This... I have to say that this is not the greatest. This is certainly post hoc analysis. Like I ran statistical processes. I looked at the results and then I labeled the results. That's not the best thing to do, but I can't say that this is, I can't harp on this too much because if you look at a few of my research papers in cybersecurity, I've done the exact same thing. I found three clusters of internet traffic. I labeled them. I gave them names based on looking them post hoc. So I I can't say that this is the worst thing because I've done it myself and been published with it. So, you know, there's, there's some bleeding over of bad practices there. But I want to get into how he separates or defines these three clusters. If you look at my notes, I have my own little definitions, but from what I can gather, it seems that he's clustering on medians, so median ratings for movies. And so for prequel prequel skeptics, he said that each film gets a median rating of eight or above. This was really interesting to me because that's a high score for skeptics, I think. But what he goes on to say in in more parts of the study is that it seems like the people who are skeptic of the sequels tend to like the originals and the sequels better. I'm going to repeat that because I think I might have misstated something. But people who dislike the sequels, sorry, dislike the prequels 
are more likely to like the rest of the films. Is this something that we're kind of familiar with? Like people who dislike the prequels say that everything else is great. It's just the prequels that are the problem. Maybe Zenger, is this is this your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> nice. There's a com- there's a complex answer to that. Okay. <laughs> there is. A, okay. <laughs> mine, mine involves a lot of graphs and a few page report too. <laughs> I would love to see Zenger's notes, Zenger's statistical report. That'd be great. But Zach, what do you uh, think? It's, it's, is, mo- is it's something- almost the wall with string attached to it. Oh, the Pepe Silvia board. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I got boxes of Pepe. But Zach, is is that what you see? Is what like is that what you hear? Maybe from the fandom that like there's some people enough to be a major dominant cluster of a study that they they say that everything is okay except the prequels. Well, that's the weird thing about the Star Wars fandom is that it is there again. I got I know at one point in this he mentions that there was a fourth cluster that he never identifies. Oh, oh, right? oh that's exactly what we're going to talk about next. Which which I'm kind <laughs> of fa- which I'm kind of fascinated by because that's one of the major questions in the Star Wars fandom right now is that where where is the popular consensus? Yes. Where is the majority? And I think, you know, I, if I had to guess what a fourth cluster would be, not not in regards to this person's report or statistics, yeah. I think the fourth cluster is the filthy casual ones that think about Star Wars twice a year when they're buying their ticket and when they walk out of the theater. I think that is the fourth cluster, and that's the vast majority of Star Wars fans. Um, I think uh, these three clusters are the hard, the three ways you can probably define the hardcore fans. Sure. Sure. And that's why I'm a little disappointed because I think one of the best gauges for determining what kind of a fan a Star Wars fan is is Rogue One. Rogue One is the weird sort of common ground for everybody because okay. it's a prequel, it's Disney era, mm. and it's grounded in the original trilogy. That's a good point. I didn't think it's, about it. Also, has a female led. Yes. It's a female led hero. It has diversity coming out the wazoo. And and that's where and, I'm th- and and what else Mads, does that Mads Mickelson. <laughs> right, that. that's the end. <laughs> no, 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 no. And what else does that have, Zach? Boris Whitaker? Oh, you're asking Zach. Okay, I'll stop answering. <laughs> I'm, okay, I think Rob is okay. I, I feel it has Booty Rook. <laughs> booty, I forgot about Booty. That, that, the that, that, is, <laughs> that is a good thing, but no. Borgata? What else? Oh what? no, I know, I know. Zenger, can I answer? Yes. Inner yes. atmosphere star destroyer. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh, I'll give you a gold star for that, Zenger, because I'm happy I knew the answer. Yes. <laughs> He's moving on up, folks. Yes, folks. I even I listen to Knights of Vader when I'm not on it. <laughs> I it don't does. listen to it. I record it, edit it, then listen to it. <laughs> suffer. Uh, yeah. But no, I think Rogue One's the weird sort of linchpin in all this that, like, why would you not include Rogue One? Like, I get not including Solo because it's like by the time he was doing all this, Solo was less than a year, like, old. So you can make a nice little excuse and just kind of, like, put that to the side. But Rogue One is, like, again, that I would imagine, like, there should be a a separate question being like, Darth Vader, end of Rogue One. How would you rate that scene? I would imagine you'd have a solid, a higher 10 out of 10 average than Empire Strikes Back across the board. Interesting. Because nobody, co- no one complains about Rogue One. That's the only film that, for the most part, nobody has anything bad to say about. Yeah, I love, I love Rogue One. I think it was on an episode of Knights of Vader where I, I, I actually admitted that I have like four different copies of Rogue One spread around my hard drives, and I don't know why, but apparently I love that movie. <laughs> 
going back to the original question of prequel skeptics, yes, I, I don't doubt that these are different subsections of the fans. I, sure. I don't doubt that for a second. But like I've said before, I do think you have fans. Um, I know like it's weird. Like in the professional Star Wars fandom, there are a lot of them that don't particularly like The Last Jedi. They're not, I wouldn't call them Last Jedi disowners. But they're not particularly fond of them. But how most Star Wars rank, considering that we've it's been over a year since the last Star Wars film, most of the rankings, as I can tell, of the of the core films, not the spinoffs, mm, sure. is Episode Five, Episode Four, Revenge of the Sith. Surprisingly, okay. Force Awakens. I guess you'd say Revenge of the Sith and Force Awakens are interchangeable. With one another. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Then it would be Return of the Jedi, Last Jedi, Phantom Menace, mm. Attack of the Clones. That's Ooh. the when I see people rank things on Twitter. I, that's typically the ranking I see. I dispute that immediately. Oh? Yes. The holiday special needs to be put on there <laughs> ahead of Attack of the Clones. And probably several <laughs> other movies that just mention the word Star Wars in the movie. You're right, Zanger. Holiday special should be number one. It yes, I it never should be. You're absolutely that. right. It should be it should be number one and number two and number three. It should have been the only movie questioned about in this survey. I like there's an outlier cluster, it's just Rob and I. It's the holiday <laughs> special, it's the greatest thing ever made. Yes, we we are an, an a whole anomalous cluster. I love it. <laughs> That's the mysterious kind of like uh, sh- like fourth cluster, the shooter on the grassy knoll. That's Rob and I. <laughs> oh, that's great. How so, talk, talk today. <laughs> like it. So, so I guess I want to go on to next to what Zach brought up is where, yes, in the report, it's mentioned about a fourth cluster. And I have some issues with this statistically because as he writes in the report, he says, and I quote, These were the three, these being the ones we've been talking about, these were the three dominant clusters, according to the algorithm. Right off the bat, what what is a dominant cluster? No statistical algorithm will give you dominant clusters. Up the other clusters and puts their head in the toilet. If only we had mathematical (laughs) algorithms that would like fight, you know, in like like an evolution style way. I guess we kind of do evolutionary algorithms, but those have been not used for a while. Um, But dominant clusters makes no sense to me, and of course, it bothers me to no end because he's not sharing the information in this report where he says according to the algorithm. Zach could have said this today. He said, "Okay, guys." I took all the data and I plugged it into the algorithm and it says you want numbers. So we got Rob to talk about statistics. That's (laughs) meaningless. You can't just say the algorithm. But then he goes on to say, I tried forcing a fourth cluster. He says he tried to force a fourth cluster. That's okay. That's a semantic thing which I could get into, but it's not that big a deal. But then in parentheses, he writes, even though the optimal, optimal number was three. This is one of my biggest pet peeves, not just with math and statistics, but with the English language in general. You, the word optimal is stupid. If you say optimal or efficient without telling your audience how it's optimal or efficient, it's a vacuous statement. For example, you can do something efficiently or optimally with respect to time. You could do something officially, efficiently or optimally with respect to effort. They're not always the same thing. 
like imagine you could run a mile, you could sprint the whole way and get a great time, but you're going to feel terrible afterwards. So it's efficient in one dimension, but it's not optimal in another. I think Zach's going to love this example. You know, you might be efficient or optimal on cost because you're selling mayonnaise and mustard mixed in a jar together, but that's not <laughs> optimal for taste. That's probably nasty. So Never mind, one will expire before the other. Exactly. Zach knows what I'm talking about, that mayo-stirred mustard mayonnaise. So anytime somebody says the optimal, optimal number or something. Why does this stuff keep coming up on every podcast I'm on recently? Ask them why. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I guess to say, I want to dive into what Zenger just said to understand what he means. But also, I want to say from my own research, I know for a fact there is no fixed method. There is no one best method to choose the number of clusters in your data set. There, there's methods that are not well-defined. There are eyeballing methods. And he doesn't say which one he used. So three just kind of seems to be his pick. You know, there's no support for why three is optimal. And I'm doing the biggest air quotes I've ever done in my damn life <laughs> when I say optimal. But I like it, to think you have foam hands. <laughs> yeah, instead of foam fingers i have foam air quotes yes <laughs> but no so zinger when you say this has been coming up on other things you've been discussing are you talking about the definition of optimality and efficiency or something else i i, I like how you assume that it's some deep meaning meaningful thing and i'm sure you know where this is about <laughs> to go this mayonnaise mixed with other <laughs> It so keeps that's coming up. what's coming up on and podcasts. I, I keep seeing okay. it in the store. Like, there's an end cap at my Martins. When the oh, you robots... got that mayo must? You got that mayo must? Yeah. I, there, there's an end cap at, at the Martins near us. And when the robot's not trying to follow me and kill me. Um... <laughs> oh, you got one of those there? You got one yeah, of those they got robot? one of those, oh, too. It follows both me and Eric. Jeez. Since apparently me and Eric vaguely look alike, I'm assuming it thinks that we're each other. So... That's that's something I'm dealing with slowly. Anyways, um, but no, I of mean, course it, it's the condiment thing that gets Sanger. <laughs> but it's it's one of those <laughs> things. I'm like, I've never seen a reason for this. What is this? Does do people not realize that if you put mayonnaise and barbecue sauce on something, they will mix together naturally? I think about the time they'll save Sanger. This is this is like <laughs> selling pieces of bread individually. You say five minutes over 30 years, though. How can you deny that? <laughs> but this is like you have a loaf of bread, you have loaves of bread, and then you have individual slices of bread, and you have people that keep going to the individual slices to make their sandwich. Because they're like, I'll just buy the slices by what I need them. And it's like, oh, sweet. My mustard and my mayonnaise are together now. I don't think there's anything I could ever make where I would need to separate them, like tuna, like tuna or an egg salad. Or just anything else with mayonnaise that you really, or or actually, here's another great one, um, grilled cheese. I know people who do who use the mayonnaise instead of butter to oh, do the sure. grilled cheese. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you rather do that with like a mustard flavored one? That's just gonna make I and trust me, I <laughs> love me some mustard, but that's gonna be weird. And vice versa. What if you want to put something on something that there's a lot of sandwich talk in this show that I've just realized. Over the past few weeks. Anyways, <laughs> what if you want to put mustard on something, but you don't want mayonnaise? I mean, brats are awesome. I, I, I don't see putting a mayonnaise on a brat. That's just kind of weird. 
I, I agree with you there, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, is there someone's fridge they need this much space-saving time to where it's like, I need my condiments combined? Oh, that's a, that, that's another great efficiency-slash-optimality concern. Space. I didn't even think of that one. You're absolutely right. Oh, God. Folks, if you want to understand more about mayo must and mustard ANAs, why what, don't Zach, listen to Cinemodities in four weeks from now? Ketchup <laughs> and mustard combined. To where it's just some orange paste. Heinz orange paste. <laughs> Eat it, you fat f- <laughs> That's the commercial. That is the <laughs> you ever you ever get tired of having to get out the mustard and the ketchup? <laughs> well now, now, we've got now sold with handy IV drip. <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird episode this time. <laughs> Folks, if you if you want more conversations like this, do not unsubscribe once the Rise of Skywalker comes out. Because it's gonna be this way. all the time. Zach, I think I do have to run out to the grocery store tomorrow, so don't expect there won't be some random post in the in the group about like man like me just staring it down or the robot chasing me around the <laughs> store. Zanger, like, if I give you a Knights of Vader t-shirt, will you put it on the robot and take a picture of it? <laughs> I mean, I and think you have, to, employees... you have to balance the mayo must somewhere on the robot. <laughs> that too. <laughs> I, I will do what I can. Does anybody supervise this robot? Is it just basically like just roaming around by itself? It roams around by itself with googly eyes. Yeah, you and think be- high school like part-time <laughs> employees want to deal with that? That just they let that thing loose. <laughs> <laughs> I said something to one of them. It was driving by, and its googly eyes were staring at me as I was checking out, and I, and I was in self checkout once again, not not wanting to. to and Z- and Zanger said to it, "You come here often." <laughs> so, so there, there is Give the it a little wink. There's the guy supervising, and I takes like, off his wedding ring. <laughs> oh yeah. So no, and I and I'm like, I look over at the guy, the actual human person. That works there and goes, so what's the deal with this thing? As it's driving by, staring at me, knowing I'm talking about it. And he's like, oh, it's just to kind of drive around the store and monitor for spills. I'm like, what does it do if it sees a spill? It does an intercom page for someone to come. Rub your nose in it. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this is, this is like two or three steps removed from it figuring out that humans are the cause of the spills and hunting us down. That was a weird, was a weird left turn. Oh my god! So, can we, can we get more escapades of you in this robot throughout? I, this will be your own version of Chad Vader. You throughout the uh, the Mars. No, it's, it's me and Eric. That's the weird thing. Zinger, do you, like do you like weird things like like spill like knock like jars of pickles off like shelves and no attention. no I love pickles I'm gonna go knock over things <laughs> of mayo must oh there you there go. you go perfect. <laughs> And then when people say something, I'm gonna be like, "No one's gonna buy it anyways," and then walk <laughs> off. <sighs> oh, I think all the time it could save Rob. Think of think of Zenger knocked over a thing of mustard and mayonnaise separately, <laughs> but knocks over a thing of mayo. It'll mustard. save the robot and the cleaning people time. They only have to clean up one jar of condiments. <laughs> oh my god! I would just imagine like a commercial where there's a woman like in a grocery store aisle, and she's like. I always used to have to drop two jars in the grocery <laughs> store to slip and cause a lawsuit. But now I only need to drop one. Thank you, may- must- mayo mustard ANAs. <laughs> oh, my God. You're the you thing. caused my insurance fraud to be more efficient. <laughs> 
All right, and closing out that bit right then and there, no one's allowed to say the word mayo mustard. Talk about mayonnaise mustard efficiency ever again on this podcast. Oh, those- don't worry. Wait until next week. I'm putting a moratorium on those words. Well, no how am I supposed to talk about the, the the Zinger sandwiches then? Never again. You both you make them without either of those condiments. I now. don't make them with those condiments. I use them separately, like you a be- person would. You you better make some friends with horseradish then. <laughs> well, I was going to say that's unfortunate because literally part three of Mark White's survey is titled "The Combination of Mustard and Mayonnaise and How It Affects <laughs> the Star Wars Fandom." So I guess we'll skip that one. <laughs> Oh, oh, no, no. Um, oh, we forgot there's a ketchup combo with it, too. There's everything. There's e- there's literally everything. You don't need to say that there's XY combo, because <laughs> there's literally everything. Heinz has done it all. Well, I know what I'm doing for the rest of the episode. You can buy, Goodbye. Like, I would say, like, in a year from now, you're going to be able to buy Heinz mustard gas. They're going to sell you bleach and ammonia <laughs> together. And you're going to be able to get that next to your mayo, must, and ketchup cue. <laughs> Oh my lord, folks! Oh my lord, what is what is this podcast become? I'm ashamed. See, that's what happens. We have one really good episode where we talk about like the prequels versus like the un- no the the originals versus the unaltered. Then we have this episode. We need the breaks. We need we need the the humor with the statistics. Zach. It's working out. <laughs> I wanted to say a little bit more about the statistics. I already mentioned the clustering is not specified appropriately. I want to go also and say and talk a little bit about the significance that gets reported. I highlighted some, so if you've read through my notes, you'll see that every once in a while he'll say that he has some significant differences. He gives a p-value, which is a very common thing in statistics. Uh, p- small p-values imply statistically significant results, if you subscribe to that philosophy. But I believe that he is not accounting for an appropriate amount of variability. Let me use an example. He says he finds a statistically significant difference when a median drops from 8.16 to 7.95. That's a 0.21 difference. That's not a lot. I want to I want to gauge your guys' thoughts on that. You know, of course, being the non-statistically minded people, if I told you that I collected some data or I collected some survey. And I said, oh, we had a median go from 8.16 to 7.95. Would you think that this is anything meaningful or, or important? Just as kind of, you know, hearing those numbers? That's pretty significant, right? I don't know. I think that's small. Like 0.21, right. 8, 8.16 Wait, to 7.95. 0.21. Oh, like, yeah, sorry. Point I thought you one. said two point something. I was like, that's significant. But Fair, fair, fair enough. No, we're talking about... Two, no, we're talking about... Point that, two one. That's like something I get wrong on a te- on like a math test, and it doesn't even matter. Like measuring out, like when I go to cook something, it's like you need a cup of this, and I kind of vaguely stare at it for a second and go, "Yeah, it's close enough to the line." Zanger goes, "I only need a cup of cheese. How about the whole package?" <laughs> <laughs> that's how everybody cooks. So, but no, uh, that's how I think. Zach, would you say the same thing? Point two one seems like intuitionally insignificant. Uh, I have no background on this, so... Uh, well, no, 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 that, that's fine. No background, but just in, like, human intuition. If I tell you, oh, we saw a 0.21 drop on a scale of 1 to 10, I think naturally a lot of people would say that's barely anything. Yeah, but it, it's... I guess it depends on the context of it. Exactly, and that's what I'm getting at. Mark White reports this drop, this 0.21 drop, to be statistically significant. 
Now, once again, he doesn't state how he's performing these hypothesis tests to get these p-values. Biggest discrepancy, I don't know if he's using parametric or non-parametric tests. If he's using parametric tests, oh my god, he dropped the ball harder than I ever could have imagined. If he's using non-parametric, good for him, but then he's not accounting for variability appropriately. The variability, the uncertainty that you have in your data set directly influences the p-value, the statistical significance that you observe from your results. And when he tells me that 0.21, 21 one hundredths, when he tells me that's significant in a snowball sample, he did not account for uncertainty appropriately. I, I would honestly, I don't have the raw data, of course, he's not sharing that, but I honestly think if you give me a snowball sample, the only thing I would think is significant is changes that are magnitude 3 or greater on a Likert scale of 1 to 10. One to 10. So this is the next thing I want to highlight. Even though in his part 1, his introduction, he says he admits that there is more uncertainty in his data set then he can actually estimate, because it's a snowball sample, he does not carry that through for the rest of his analyses. And I'm bringing this up because I think it harkens back to the point all three of us have been saying, where he wanted significant results. If he accounted for more variability, a lot of the things that he reports as significant would not be significant, and he wouldn't have the same narrative to tell. So I think this just supports it. Point two one. 0.21, 8.16 to 7.95. Like, literally to me, it's like, I ask Zenger, how do you rate this movie? He goes, uh, 7.95. I ask Zach... Why would you do that? I ask Zach the same question. He says 8.16, and I go, okay, they said the same answer. They rated it as an 8. There is Round. so little difference to that, to a natural human being, that yes, it might be statistically significant, but I don't believe it from this type of sampling. Once again, I can't say for certain because I don't have the raw data, but I think this supports what we've all been getting at. He has a narrative that he wants to tell, and using this significance level and stating the significance helps him tell that story. See, this proves, this proves a point I've always been trying to make. If I get enough data, just data of just something and put it on enough graphs and keep talking, I will bore a room to death and I can just say whatever <laughs> I want eventually. I do it for two hours a day when I'm teaching this summer. <laughs> and and how many of those students are left afterwards? Okay, well, well, you know what? They all stay for the most part because we do things together that they get graded on. So I, I inherently work it in there that they have to stay the whole time. <laughs> you monster. <laughs> but no, we're not talking about my teaching style here. Uh, well, I guess maybe we are. Um, no gold star for that, Zanger. <laughs> oh. But, but yeah, I think that's the next biggest thing I wanted to point out is that the statistical significances that he highlights – I don't know if he's appropriately accounting for uh, uncertainty, as he should be. And I won't know until I get a response from him about more of this. And once again, I want to I mention it again. He does not say what tests he uses. He only reports p-values. Um, I guess a little bit of information on p-values. P-values are so kind of controversial that there's actually some academic journals 
that if you report p-values in your paper that you send to them for publication, they will immediately reject you. They say that they are not worthy of looking at. And there's actually a, a big topic of discussion in statistics if this is truly meaningful in terms of significance. Um, it's still a common thing. I don't think it's, it's a bad choice to use p-values and talk about significance that way, but he doesn't give enough details for us to actually meaningfully interpret them. Once again, it just plays to that narrative. Cool beans, right? <laughs> Rob got, into a little Rob got a little too deep into the weeds there for a second, folks. That's, that's the best part, where we go, we talk about condiments, and then we get into the weeds. That's, that's the whiplash the audience deserves on this podcast. <laughs> Warning, you will have whiplash. <laughs> you so, will get wet. Uh, just like Jay, Jay Leno, you will get wet. I wanted to point out or, or highlight another question, just like I did with the critics and fan comments, and it was specifically something Zach brought up prior was apparently there were a series of questions on this survey which originally just asked uh, the respondents, what was your excitement for the return of Skywalker, or the rise of Skywalker, I'm sorry, T-R-O-S, as it's spelt in this survey. Uh, what was your excitement for this film before and after, knowing that J.J. Abrams has consulted with George Lucas while writing the story and script? First question for you guys, because you're going to know better than I do, is this true? In the months since this survey, is this an actual fact that J.J. Abrams has consulted George Lucas in the preparation of this movie? Is this like something where we know for certain? Oh boy, mind, cons <clears throat> mind consulting. I well, good running that, into him that, at a noodle that, place. That might deserve consulting. a gold star zanger because that's exactly my comment. Define consulting. You know, how can you ask survey respondents if they're more excited or less excited, knowing that George Lucas consulted? What does that mean? What does consulting mean? So, Zach, you said it might be a longer story. What's the what's the deal? Well, okay, you have the Zach way of looking at this, where you get into the philosophical underbelly of it all, or you can take it at face value. For brevity's sake, and considering that we're almost at two hours now of recording, let's take it at the brevity oh, <clears> level. I mean, oh, go thank on. God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's the idea of does George Lucas being back into the fold get you excited? Yes, that, yes, that that's the question. Gist, yeah. that, that's the gist. It doesn't matter. I, I, again, J.J.'s going to do whatever he wants. It, it, this is now J.J.'s movie. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, does having the creator of Star Wars in back get you excited? That's the question. It should be, yep. should, do original producers being involved with these films get you excited? That, that's the essence of the question. Exactly, exactly. So, and if it gets I, you excited for more than four hours, see a doctor. <laughs> Nice. I was actually interested in seeing, at least, of course, you know, from this survey, this graph that we have on page 16 of the notes. Oh, we're um, there now. That, oh, we're, we're all over the place now. Um, it, prequel skeptics, of course, as he as Mark White does, he's splitting everything by these three clusters he's assigned. The not prequels, the fourth cluster. No fourth cluster, only three. Um, the prequel skeptics apparently don't like Lucas being consulted, which is, I guess, intuitively makes sense, because if you don't like the, the prequels or if you're skeptic of the prequels, which was almost all Lucas, from my understanding, or very much Lucas, you'd be like, eh. But I thought it was interesting also that the Last Jedi disowners are more excited by that fact. He'll make everything right. Yeah. Just it's almost... like my childhood will soon be complete again. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, that I was almost like, I was interested to see that kind of switch where 
the prequel one made sense to me, at least in a rationalization level. But seeing that his cluster of the Last Jedi disowners were excited about Lewis being consulted, Lucas being consulted, no. I was like, oh, interest, Lewis. Okay, <laughs> I was I was interested in that. I was also interested in the fact that the saga lovers don't care. Like it is almost like it is huge. He doesn't do any significances. He only has differences between the clusters, but. You know, that graph on page 16, like, the, of the saga lovers, it's almost 70% that are like, just give me another movie. <laughs> and that is the realm I'm in most of the time of, like, I really don't care on that, yeah. on, like, yeah. that that Lucas got consulted. So I wanted to ask you guys, is is this a common thing that you've heard from the fandom where, you know, the people who didn't really like the sequels are against Lucas, but the people who are not a fan of the Disney stuff are for Lucas? It's like this weird grass is almost greener uh, ideology to me type of thing. Like, we want what we don't have. Is that kind of the same sense you're getting? Well, that's the weird thing with this, though. So again, it's hard to pull from this stupid thing because it's not representative to any... True. Real degree. Yes. But We've established the, that. Yeah, I know. But that's why it's hard because you don't want to make assumptions based on this. It's kind of like it's it's a foundation on a swamp. It's like you don't want to pull anything from this. So you said not to get political. No, no, it's not political. <laughs> <laughs> well, only if he's draining the swamp, then it gets political. <laughs> oh, there we go. Ah, yes. <laughs> I would imagine if you asked any Star Wars fan. Does having Lucas bat is having Lucas somehow involved with this to a very small extent? Is it a bad thing? Most mm-hmm. fans will tell you no. It's his baby. It will always be his baby. Four billion dollar yeah. sale or not? Uh, most some fans will probably say I prefer he stands by and just kind of nods and shakes his head. Doesn't have any sort of real like executive power. Okay, but I think for the most part, most fans would be okay with having him involved. Oh, so that's the sense you're getting is that it's not like yeah. you know. It's not like really it's divisive where people love or hate him. Everybody kind of respects him for being the creator. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's the idea okay. that like it's again, it's but that's the weird thing though, is that during the prequel era in the aftermath of the prequels, 2006 through 2012, that's where you did not have any respect for George Lucas. That's mm-hmm. where you did have your people versus George Lucas's yeah. where it was this man ruined my childhood. I'm 38 years old. All I can do is Wait. talk about how these movies bother me. Are these the same people who then later got their childhood ruined again? Well, that's the thing, too, I think is interesting about this. Rob, does he ask anybody's age in this? Ah, yes. Yes, yes. so um, the most interesting yet smallest part of his report <laughs> is the discussion about age. And I do want to mention uh, on the statistical topic that when he gets into all of these plots and graphs about um, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but he he talks about hostile sexism, benevolent sexism, political beliefs, uh, anti-PC beliefs, political correctness beliefs. He he dives into a lot of this, and he stratifies none of it by age. And that's a really big problem for me, because I hate the fact that he relates, you know, anti-PC beliefs to in Star Wars to political affiliation and doesn't separate that by age. I think anybody listening this knows that political beliefs are stratified by age. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact of demographics, and he does not account for that. And that's a huge problem I have with this study. That you can't talk about, you know, are, do you think sexism is rampant in the view of Star Wars movies, sequels, and not talk about the age of the people that are responding? That's almost nonsensical to me. Does that answer your question, Zach? <laughs> yeah, no, because no, I, I see it now. The age composition of clusters 
and we have prequel skeptics, and the average age of them is about 30 to 35. Saga lovers, which for the most part are people in their late 20s, mm-hmm. and uh, not my Star Wars, Last Jedi Disowners, are for the most part uh, in their mid to late 40s. For, uh, mid to late 40s, early 50s. Yes. And that's what I find is odd about this, is that when you think of people, like, I, I don't know, how, again, that's the weird, again, I, I don't want to pretend like this guy that had any sort of uh, sample of the Star Wars fandom, but when you think of people who are disgruntled by the prequels, they're the same ones that say, not my Star Wars, except they've, they've licked their wounds from the prequel era, and they've moved on. Mm, okay. They're not, I, I think in a weird way, you could... I think the prequel skeptics in, in The Last Jedi Disowners could be overlapped. I do think that in my own little kind of anecdotal perspective. Because the, the I think The Last Jedi Disowners are the evolution of the prequel haters. They're, they're the evolution of we are going sure. to we are going to hate whatever comes out that's that's new and is is different. Except for Rogue One because it was neither new nor different. <laughs> Okay. It just it just enhanced everything that we loved about Star Wars. Mm. So unless we are yeah. going to, so unless every Star Wars story is the Empire versus the Rebellion, we are it's not must Star Wars. Star Wars to these people is always Empire versus Rebellion. Even though the sequel trilogy is essentially that with a different coat of paint, they refuse to see through that pretty much like the exact the, case in point, folks. Sure. It, even though he's being facetious there, it's that's what it is. Though it's like again, Star Wars again. That's why the, it's so weird. That, and that's what the prequels were. Prequels were so kind of just f- so far removed from what people expected of what Star Wars to be. And it's weird how people. It's funny. The prequels were three films that were so removed from what Star Wars was supposed to be. Yet they never conditioned people to think outside that box, except for people my age. Sure. Okay. Okay. And I think for the most part, you can just call saga lovers Star Wars junkies. It's just the idea. It's like they, they don't yeah. care what it is. They just want it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's how even he describes it. You know, I don't care. Like, like we said, they don't care if George Lucas is involved. Just when's the next movie coming out? I want to see more. Absolutely. Exactly. And I think I when I did this survey. I fell into that group because that's why I, did. I think I gave every Star Wars movie a ten out of ten except for Force Awakens. I think I gave that either a seven or an eight. Okay. Interesting. Right on. Yeah. So yeah, the the sexism. I think that's that's really the main point I want to make about the sexism and the political uh, affiliation stuff that he does. You know, and when he does get into as he should, whenever any sexism is discussed academically, there's benevolent and hostile sexism. He he cites that appropriately. He he defines them appropriately and studies them appropriately, which is great to see. But once again, it comes down to you know his significances significances seem stretched. You know, he talks about differences between sexism beliefs between these three clusters but you know we're still looking at like he finds a significant difference where the the last jedi disowners are you know their rating for benevolent sexism is like four and a half and then for the saga lovers it's 4.2 and he says that's significantly different and it's like uh, no no you're not accounting for that uncertainty and he's not stratifying by age which is confounding sexism and political beliefs are stratified by age that that's just a fact, and and he needs to account for that when he analyzes this data further, if he ever does. He gets into it a little bit though, but hostile versus benevolent sexism. How's that defined? Like, what is that? So, so hostile sexism is, I think, what most people think of as sexism is when um, the, probably the best way to think about it is like get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. 
like women are inferior to men. They are they are here to serve men. That is called hostile sexism. Uh, benevolent sexism is the other side of the coin. It's more of the white knight aspect where people are like, or men, I should say, or, or people, yeah, really, for sexism, people say they think that women are inherently more pure or innocent than men, innocent than men, and they need to be protect, protect, pr protected. Um, that's they're both versions of sexism, whether you hold women in low regard or high regard, and they're both negative. And that's that's not I'm not disputing that. There's been so many studies that both of those are negative, and it's almost a fact at this point. You know, women don't like being put lower than men. They don't like being raised on a pedestal than men. It's all about that equality. So but he accounts for both as he should. So it's chauvinism versus chivalry. Exactly, exactly. And they both have issues uh, in terms of pervading the culture, as far as you know, social psychology research has has found. That's the weird thing about this, though. Of all the things to try to glean from the Star Wars fandom, I don't get. Again, outside of the fact this is what he, for some reason, he wanted to have articles mm -hmm. that had this as the headline. I don't get how this is worth bringing up as, as a talking point. If you're going to pour I, this much effort yeah. into this, why do this? Because, like, it's any any large group of people. There's always going to be people that are going to be. Oh God, uh, uh, bad apples in the bunch. There's always exactly. Yeah. Statistically, you can't escape that. And I don't get how saying okay, it's there, and we're going to tie it to a very specific part of the fandom that that doesn't like one movie. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, I, I don't get that because again, I, I don't know how you can like, you, like you've already said numerous times. How do you quantify that? Saying people who don't like this movie also have a very ill opinion of women. Mm. That's such a and, and if you let's say you can prove that, then what does that get you? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. We didn't even talk about you know because we don't have the actual survey. Like the questions he asked could have been very biased and leading. That's a huge part of survey statistics. You know, he could have said, "I think I think actually one of them in here is when he talks about the anti PC beliefs. The question is something like on a scale of one to ten, rate how you think or if you agree with this statement." Like more political correctness leads to less free flowing exchange of ideas. That's an incredibly loaded question. That's not an unbiased question. And I'm sure that the rest of the survey had that level of bias in it because he just created it. He didn't, you know, correct the survey or check for unbiasedness before he gave it. He just thought of some questions for his own purposes and threw it out into the world and told other people, hey, get your friends to take the survey too. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that we can't really get a sense of here because of that structure. I think this is perfect timing because I have touched on all of the major topics I wanted to. I um, suggest anybody who is statistically or mathematically minded to take a look at my notes. I you should reach out to me. Like I said, it's solely my opinions. If you have anything, you know, hit up the Knights of Vader Facebook group and go, Rob, you're an idiot. Here's why I think why. I'll hit you up and we'll have a good debate. But I wanted to open it up to you guys now that you know. Or I guess Zach, since you've read my notes, Zenger, I think just skimmed through them and looked for the curse words. Was there anything <laughs> that I that I put in there that you know I, I made a comment on this and you wanted funny. to to have me expand on or anything? You know, is there anything I put in there that you were I didn't touch on here and you wanted to get some more info on? Anything like that? Well, this like I said, this this I want to say, folks, like if you ever want a pure, uncut look at what robism is this is what it, this is this is it folks this is kind of <laughs> like the yeah this is the holy this, document it's this and wonder shows and you get my professional and non-professional side <laughs> 
Well, I know at one point, like late, right before the conclusion, he has a thing where he says, these results also replicate work a colleague of mine and I did after the release mm. of The Force Awakens. And we doesn't found- cite the work. Well, that is so bad. That is such bad practice on so many levels. This research supports other research I've done, but f- you go find it yourself. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> to follow through with the rest of that paragraph, it says we found that hostile sexism was a positive predictor of the typical Mary Sue complaints about Ray. I.e. that she was too competent throughout The Force Awakens. And I like the Rob comment that says, F your backhanded implicative BS. Clearly your studies don't always reflect your soundbite of them. That is, quote, picks or it didn't happen. Yeah, I felt that that phrase summarized it perfectly. It's like, you cannot tell me that this study is replicatable because of another study that you did, but you're not pointing me towards, you know? It's 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 it is it's fuck your backhanded implicative bullshit. He needed a soundbite. He needed a good conclusion, and that's what he got. Hey Zach, uh huh. Um, Imperial class star destroyers are the best star destroyers. I saw it in a um in a research <laughs> journal thing. Yeah, um, and, and, uh, the the Journal of American or no the journal J E I S D the Journal of Imperial. Inter inner atmosphere star destroyers. That's where yes. Zenger read this article. Yes, I read it there. So, <laughs> and so if you need that. to fact check, go find it yourself. <laughs> yeah, I ain't doing the work. <laughs> yeah, that that's what it is, you know. And I think even on the same page Zach is talking about, page twenty one, there's a later paragraph in his conclusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got references here. But I, I say, you know, he he says these data support blah blah blah. He starts saying things. And I, when I read this paragraph, I was like, where the hell did this come from? What does this survey have to do with anything you're talking about right now? This is just, as I say, this paragraph reads to me as, hey, I need to punch up my report with buzzwords to hi- hide how bad my sample is. And that's, that's what it is to me. Once again, he had a narrative to tell, and he told it. And he this, bolstered it with some data. That's all it is. This moment here is like when I had to do like creative writing and stuff, and I would like have like a paragraph that had nothing to do with anything else in the story, <laughs> and then rotate back to it with kind of vaguely having it connect. And every time I did that, my teacher would be like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> Me filling space. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's like that. You know, he had to get that. I don't know word quote for his yeah. own blog or something. Well, that's what it is, though. It sounds like somebody who had a point, and they did a little bit of uh, research through a survey out there, and then could hide behind it. Because look exactly. at it. Like I already said, I read a couple of headlines. And guess what? He got his name out there. He perpetuated an agenda. Whether it's true or not, who cares? At that point, if, if it is true, he just invalidated it a little bit. It's, and that's the problem. And guess what? He got his, he got his, uh, his headlines. Actually, yeah. Zach, there's a bigger problem here. Oh? Uh, the fact that we are spending almost two hours discussing this guy's stuff. We are giving him so much free publicity and so much uh-huh. validation, technically, that that's what he wanted. I mean, he made up... He, he, as we said, we knew what he wanted to, to get out of this. He got it, and now it's something that every Star Wars person feels like they need to discuss or say something about. I, I don't think so though because so far well then you're wrong well no (laughs) (laughs) and i have and i have two data points to support (laughs) that you're wrong (laughs) me and my five 
Me and my 5,000 closest friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I have to agree with Zach a little bit. Uh, while, yes, he might might have done this for notoriety, I have to say, like I said at the start, I looked into his other research. He is an academic researcher. There is there is some motivation to this. And, and I guess that's what I want to say is, yes, Mark White, if this ever finds your way, if you hear my voice criticizing your statistical studies, this is not to say I hate you. I, I think that, you know, this academic research, <laughs> this is the benefit. This is the point of academic research. You you report something, other people criticize it, and it gets improved because of it. I would love to hear feedback from Mark White on this. I would love to hear feedback from anybody on my thoughts um, because that's what it's all about. So I, I think that, you know, with a little bit of research I've done into this guy's background, this was not just to go viral, it seems. He actually has some passion for data analytics, and I and I I have to respect that and agree with it. And yes, you know he saw an opportunity for Star Wars and political affiliations and racism and took it. But you know that that's no separate from what a lot of researchers do. That's how they make names. They they make outrageous claims about these things that everybody kind of thinks is the case, and then they get headlines because of it. So just, so Mark White, you know, let me know. Let me know if you want to argue about this. Maybe Zach will have you on Knights of Vader and scream more about statistics. We'll see how but, that goes. But don't you find it is like at, at no point in this is he ever mentioned if he's a Star Wars fan, right? Like we have no understanding if this was done from and a place of what level of fan he is. True. Yes. Wow. Well, cluster, he what does, he does not talk. Yeah, he does not talk about his affiliation with this data. That's a good point. But what he's doing, though, and I think again, Rob, you're the, you're the expert here. I, for once, on the Knights of Vader podcast, the Knights of Vader are not the experts. I'm not. I'm. I'm just a casual. I'm not a filthy casual. <laughs> <laughs> but the question, though, is that like if he's a statistician or anything, or what was the exact title he has? So he was a, a, a social scientist, social psychologist. His minor well, that- is in quantitative methods. Well, okay, so. social scientist, that yeah. leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I do they're, not they're like They're looking for the waves. Like I said earlier, uh-huh. they they want to publish things that are significant, of course. Yes, they're, they're the right, yeah, exactly. But the whole idea of like his entire foundation, like we again, we've gone through numerous times, the snowball sample, mm-hmm. that's so inherently flawed. What he, he, would he have to know what he's doing is flawed on a fundamental level? And shouldn't that alone cause him to say, I should throw all this out the window? Yeah, he's, try- I, he's trying yeah. to paint a picture. and He's making a very derogatory claim. And he's doing it with a very flawed premise at the same time. That's a good that, point. Because, that alone you know, should make him take a step. If he's a professional, yeah. that alone should discredit him. You're, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, the only mention of the sampling structure of the of the poor aspects of the data that only comes in his first out of five blog posts. If you just read the section on sexism and political attitudes, he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about that unrepresentativeness. So yes, it is very leading in that aspect where maybe that's what happened. All these people that wrote these articles, they said, oh, I'm a journalist. I don't care about how he set up his study. I just need to know the results he got. And I'm going to look at those specific sections and lose that very important point that this is not representative of anything meaningful. You're absolutely right. So there is that level of almost he's expecting to go viral with it. And he did, as we've been saying. Yeah. And like I said, and that and clearly whatever happened with Claudia Gray, someone in her orbit found out. Yeah. And, yeah. and they had to retract their uh, promotion of it. Yeah. I Like I said, I would love to hear from him. I think that 
uh, you know, after this whole discussion and, and I'm, I'm reading through all this stuff and looking at my notes, I, I'm very tempted to actually email him, not in an antagonistic way and say, hey, I blew your study out of the water. Listen to this podcast, but more to gain more information. I would love to know all of the things that I said he didn't state and didn't specify. So we can't really get a sense of how important or useful this information is. I want to know. I'm really tempted to contact him and say, hey. Like, what did you do? Is this useful? Is this not useful? What is his opinions? Because he does state it. Reading the whole report, he does comment that he has poor data. You can't deny that. He That's, doesn't comment it as much as he should. He doesn't say it at the start of every section. Imagine, but he does make mention of it somewhere. Imagine you have an engineer, and the engineer is told, we want you to build a bridge over a creek. And you're supposed to be using cement, and you use toothpicks. Okay. And you know what you're doing is is catastrophically flawed. And then in your report describing the events of the construction, you write, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. Fair, Th fair point. I understand where you're coming from, Zach. And I but, think this this leads into a bigger discussion of the problems with the academic community and not just Mark White. But I, I understand where you're coming from. But that's that's my thing, though, is that this is a very – like you, you – and you've already stated I'm not doing it to you. I'm kind of just emphasizing it for the audience is that this is like a quasi – it's like any – it's like polling. Polling mm. doesn't exist anymore to reflect public opinion. It's there to shape public opinion. And this is a, a, yep. a, a quasi form of that. This is not research to reflect public opinion. It's here to paint a picture of it. And yeah, that's, that's what, a good way to put it. Yeah. And that's what it's almost like gorilla. Gor, I don't even know how you would do it. It's like gorilla research. It's hit and run. It's like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to do this study. Like I'm going to put a survey out for like a couple of days in the middle of May, pull it down and then two weeks collect my findings. And then there it is. Yeah. Like the, it's weird. This happened now. You, I would expect something like this to kind of happen maybe like in October or November Right when like Rise of Skywalker hype is starting to like right right before we hit our peak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something very. And there's one thing also I want to bring up about this that I found very very peculiar. Yeah, yeah. I'm and, ready and, for I'm, it. and I'm starting to question maybe the whole validity of this thing and its core because I I feel like this thing is nonsense nonsense all the way through because if if you look at the political breakdowns where he he gets everybody's political thing how liberal conservative. Yep. I don't know what page that's on, Rob. Do you know what page that's on? I am scrolling to it right now. Don't worry, Seriously scribbling. Don't page, worry, everybody. Page We're going to figure this out. Lucky it is? Number, oh, good. Lucky is number seven. seven. Gold star, look, Zach. Oh, I get, oh, man. I'm on the board, folks. I'm on the board. 11 ago. Two, God two, two, <laughs> two hours in, I'm finally on the board. Uh, do I, when I get a gold star, is it taken away from Zenger or is it my own gold, gold star? Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, you gain one, Zenger loses two. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'm I'm an aggressive grader. <laughs> it is an uphill battle for me to win against Zach. I see how this is. <laughs> you're still a head singer. Uh barely. No, okay, so you're looking at this. I know even in Rob's little like uh notes, he writes, majority of survey takers consider themselves to be politically liberal. Yeah, just about thirty percent, yep. Yeah. Well, if you look at this, you have thirty you have what, around twenty eight percent liberal. Mm -hmm. 23% very liberal. Very, yeah, very liberal. 15% somewhat liberal. So you got well over 50% saying they are uber liberal. Yeah. Which I believe that. If you are a Star Wars fan, that it's on social media, social media, which is where this is primarily shared. Mm -hmm. 
I 110% believe that. But then you look at where he pulled all of the sources from. 17% of the sample came from Jedi Temple Archives. Yeah. Jedi Temple Archives, for those of you who don't know, is a was not as bad in previous years as they are now, but they were a very conservative right we right wing leaning fan site when it came to collecting. Like they were one of the loudest parts of the fandom of of Ray is a Mary Sue, Disney is ruining Star Wars, and they were they got targeted numerous times over ad boycotts, sponsor boycotts. They kind of but when the Star Wars podcasting cartel had some power left, they got the brunt of it. Uh, they've toned down. I remember when and it's weird. They were one of the weird ones because when Last Jedi came out, they were actually very forgiving and very positive of that film, saying like, "Oh, oh they're fixing, they're fixing problems with the Force Awakens." And then I, I don't know if they were one of the ones that then eventually devolved into Vice Admiral Purple Hair ruined Star Wars. Okay, I don't know, but like they were one of the ones that were at the, at, out of the gate were very positive about that film. I don't know what eventually ended up but now, but who knows? And then you look at the at the, the third highest source percentage-wise of the sample was Reddit. Yep. Reddit, for the most part, is one of the very few, I don't want to say conservative platforms, but it's definitely the people who populate that are much more conservative than Twitter and, and Tumblr and those types of social media platforms. Okay. So I find it fascinating that almost over a th- – what? Almost a third of the sample sample came from I don't want again, I don't want to say conservative, but outlets that are more that attract more conservative minded people. Sure. Yet the sample size openly states that it's over fifty percent liberal. It was it, so you're saying that the 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 skewness towards more liberals is unexpected based on the breakdown I, of where the sample came from for you. Yes, and that's anecdotal okay. again, anecdotal on my part, guy. Make that loud and clear. Of and course. that that sort of disconnect is baffling to me because mm. the, the social media part of the Star Wars family, and folks, you go on Twitter, Instagram, you get hit over the head with the SJWisms. Okay. Like you, you, you cannot escape it. It's just there. I remember one of my favorite SJW moments of Star Wars fandom was the insane person that wrote like a seven-page article when they got mad when after the Force Awakens came out, they wanted Ray's lightsaber, and it was listed. Is Anakin's lightsaber and felt that was that was the work of the patriarchy and that was misogynistic. Like oh, that God. to me, that I gotta find that. It's gotta be out there somewhere. To this day, that's gotta be the Hall of Fame of insanity. But but don't you realize that that was done not because of misogyny? It was done because JJ wouldn't allow anything with Ray with the lightsaber in the marketing materials. Like it has nothing to do with the fact of of, of keeping keeping Ray down. It was a marketing decision made by the insane filmmaker that puts everything in the question mark box that he carries around with him at any given time. Okay. But no, I would I would gotcha. say that the disconnect there is is not that it's baffling, but there is. It's a little peculiar. It's just like, mm. okay, I get it, but because there are other people like Brian Young. Brian Young is part of the Star Wars podcasting cartel or okay. what it once was. And him only being at 1% is, is odd because he does run one of the highest downloaded Star Wars podcasts out there. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that was something that I didn't have too much to comment on, specifically because I didn't know a lot of the sources that he collected data from. Of course, you know, Twitter, Reddit, all that stuff, Facebook. That's fine, but yeah, I had never heard of Jedi Temple Archives, TheForce.net, Brian Young, any of that stuff. Yeah, and that's, oh, that's oh, interesting. I, I have no, I know TheForce.net's been around forever. 
I don't know if they have if, if the forums there have any leaning one way or the other. If I had to guess, they're probably again. I'm just guessing. Uh, I would imagine they're probably not my Star Wars more than anything. It's funny. The more uh, the 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 further you get away from like social media, like the 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 okay corral of Twitter, mm. and where it's fast and loose, people just like taking each other out. Uh, you get more of the not my Star Wars. Not my Star Wars is okay. not Ground Zero. It's more in the corners, and you have to go. You have to go find that, and that's gotcha. why when you it's again it's the whole thing that when you see like Star Wars misogyny or you say that to people, it's like like oh god, what's the new thing that's going around? People are bullying Morgan Stark from Avengers Endgame, and you click on the story, and it's like two tweets from an account that has like ten followers. It's like it's it's like that's not bullying. That's a random account just spewing nonsense. Like that's, that's Mark. <laughs> let's nice. hope Mark. Doesn't, let's let's hope Mark. We disenfranchise Mark so much, literally, that he no longer listens. Uh, Sorry, Mark. But yeah, no. Like that's am the I thing wrong too. though? Yeah. <laughs> so everybody gets thrown onto the bus this episode, folks. Felt, uh, former members of the podcast, current members of the podcast, the audience, everybody gets thrown under the bus this episode. <laughs> That's what happens when you crunch numbers. <laughs> numbers are truth. Truth is fiction. Everything's a lie. That buzz is going to hit us. Ah! I love that phrase. That's what happens when you crunch numbers. <laughs> That's great. All right, Rob, any conclusion you have on this, or did you already wrap up your spiel? I think I wrapped up everything I want to talk about. I think we've all said it. We're all in agreement, and I'm glad I was able to support what you guys were thinking, that this was very much a narrative-driven study um, with not much grander meaning in terms of statistical inference. The last thing I want to bring up is, I don't know if, if Zach saw this or, or Zenger saw this, but uh, on page 15 of the notes, I, I believe it's in section 2 of his report, Mark White discusses specifically, um, uh, once again, through our clusters, I think it's in the section, yes, when he's discussing if, if the Last Jedi disowners uh, care about what, what critics think. He's discussing some results, and then he rationalizes these results by saying the Last Jedi disowners did not care what critics think with, quote, the Last Jedi received generally positive reviews from professional critics for Ryan Johnson's flouting of expectations. So my <laughs> comment, my comment here is: as soon as I read this, I went, "Oh, he missed a great chance to say subversion of expectations." But then immediately I thought, unless him saying flouting of expectations was <laughs> the subversion of expectations. So Mark White hit us up. Are you that meta? We need to know. <laughs> no, no, I think overall, um, as I've mentioned, you know, please, Zach, as you said, you're going to post my notes and the original study on the show notes and Facebook and whatever other sources. I, I, I strongly am, you know, open to anyone reading my comments if they want clarification or if they have concerns, you know, uh, give some traffic to the, the Knights of Vader Facebook group. I'll hit you up. I look in there every once in a while. And it's interesting. I want to know other people's opinions because as far as I'm concerned, this study's garbage and it's cool to talk about some results, but we can't say anything more than that. And really, I think that's the big point I've, I've wanted to make for this whole discussion. Yes, folks, this entire two hour long recording has been an academic exercise in dissecting uh bomb. <laughs> there you go. Well, this is good. Like I said, this is a very important part of the research process. You publish, you criticize, you improve and so on and so forth. So 
We're in that. Knights of Vader is now well in the academic realm. That's you get a badge for that, right? Not a gold star, like a badge, like a merit badge. I think. Doesn't Podbean give those out? <laughs> to people who like, have emailed, <laughs> you did a statistics episode. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Achievement unlocked. Point zero zero one percent of players have this achievement. <laughs> <laughs> to those of you who have emailed us in the Knights of Vader like email account and said like, "Oh, I love it when you do numbers episodes." Here you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, you know the next time I'm on Knights of Vader, it'll be because Zach wants me to watch an eighth of a movie and then discuss it. It will not be for statistics again for a long time. <laughs> We should do a, a research study, Rob, on Micho Black. How many Star Wars fans have actually seen Micho Black in its entirety? Now, now that is an interesting question, based on how we talked about them leaving during the the uh, the cred uh, the the prequels or previews, I should say. That's a good question. Where's our grant money? I got to use my Department of Homeland Security connections to get some grant money. Can I convince them that Star Wars is a matter of Homeland Security? It's all, especially when it comes to Micho Black. Do you think that if I just make the title of the of the proposal sexism, racism, death, do you think that'll like get their attention enough and they'll just throw money at it? Okay, maybe you throw peanut butter in there too. Peanut butter, there you go. That's what we were missing, Zach. Peanut butter. Just the butter. Just the butter. <laughs> sexism, racism, death. Semicolon, just the butter. <laughs> Mayo stirred. It came. No, no, it's I'm free to use it again. That will ruin my reputation with the entities I currently work (laughs) for. So so maybe when I'm out of when I'm losing ground with them for other reasons, maybe I'll throw that at throw that at them. Then (laughs) that'll be your last stand. That'll be the hell to die on. That's going to be my swan song, Zach. Alrighty, Zanger, we'll let you have your final thoughts when it comes to your moment of Zang, okay? Yeah, what's what's the moment of Zang at, at the end of this classroom meeting? Oh, I, 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 when we wrap up, you will find out. I, I think that's what we're saying. No, I mean, <laughs> you, you got to do all the sign-offs and everything. Oh, oh, I didn't, okay, yeah, he's so right. moment of Zang comes at, at okay, I wasn't. Yeah, comes at the very end. Moment that. of Zang okay. is the very end of the podcast. All right. Well, Zach, you're, you're absolutely right. I have nothing more to say. Like I said, if you have any comments, please hit me up in the Knights of Vader Facebook group. I would love to talk about this more uh, with people who are, you know, willing to debate with me. Absolutely. Mark H. White, hit me up. We can, can we can fight with each other and then have a great academic relationship. And that's, that's what I want to say about the Star Wars survey. Thanks for having me on, Zach. I love that I got to talk about this. I love that I got to, you know, hear some stunned silence from you two that will most likely get edited out of the final yeah, recording. Oh, yeah, but, well. But no, 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 no folks in the audience, it was there. It was there. I was waiting for like 30 seconds for some responses. And the best way I had a teacher once tell me, uh, you know, you're hosting a classroom, you're, you're lecturing to a classroom, you ask them a question and no student responds. Math teachers are the best at waiting for answers because you better believe you're never going to out-awkward a math teacher. And that's what I got to see today, that I did not – I out-awkwarded everybody talking about statistics here, and I'm very happy for that opportunity. So thank you, Knights of Vader, as always. With that, so concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. As you've already heard, check out the Knights of Vader Facebook group. Type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and Rob will definitely be there waiting for you with maybe Zanger and I in, in the sidelines. <laughs> Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Unless if you're Mark White, then please keep those comments to just Rob. 
Thank you to Anspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Cinemodies, and on the Cinemodies podcast, where we'll be talking about... Sketch comedy? Sketch uh-huh. sketch comedy. Ske- just sketch comedy. Sketch comedy. Sketch comedy! <laughs> Listen to it. Comedy? It's two months. It's two months of sketch comedy. Oh, it's no. amazing. It's the best. It's the best thing Cinemodity's ever done, as far as I'm concerned, with the exception Fort- of the Amanda Show. <laughs> Fort Month. Yes, the the sketch comedy Fort Month with some palate cleansers. Check it out if you want to hear Rob talk more about other things he's passionate for. Cinemodities is the place to go. When you're not repeating Mayo Stirred into your mirror three times, Zenger, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me grabbing random people on the street and asking them Star Wars related questions for a survey I'm doing. And shaking but, them. <laughs> yes, you gotta <laughs> shake them too. Um, you can find me yelling about other nerdy stuff over on Zing This, where we'll be probably covering something nerdy. Our video game tournament, I mean, our video game console tournament's gonna start soon, so there's that. Did you do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Batman yet? God dang it. I've, we, if we're recording it tomorrow, Zach. Calm down. It'll be out Friday. <laughs> All right, Zanger. So for is you out- listening, it's like, what, four weeks ago now? <laughs> Whatever. I don't know how these things come out. <laughs> is Ellie going to see the Avengers Endgame re-release? <laughs> I don't think Ellie's going to watch Endgame ever. I think it's going to be that movie that, like, years from now, we're going to have to go back to and be like, Ellie, did you watch this? So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Lucky Phil. her. All right, Zanger, what is our moment of Zang? I would like to give a warning to everyone listening of the dystopian future we are looking down the barrel of, of where we will one day have to go into the grocery store and deal with all self-checkout, roaming robots, and not being able to find just ketchup and mustard that's not combined. <laughs> our future looks bleak, people. Stock up while you can. You're Mustard saying you're mayonnaise? saying that we need you're saying that we need more combination condiments no, no, or less. No, I'm saying that that's going to happen. That that is the future we are oh, staring okay. down. Is that you will not be able to find non-comboed condiments anymore. That it will be like you'll be I, laughing. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. I think one day, literally, the entire condiment section of a grocery store will be, be one big jar. <laughs> Like it's just it's just gonna be like you know get in there you know you need pickles well just make sure you know you get the pickles don't scrape the mayonnaise stripe with your pickles <laughs> if you don't want mayonnaise you know like that's just what we're we're leaning towards and and the best part is there's still gonna be some random old woman sitting there going oh does this contain eggs I I don't like <laughs> eggs in, in 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 my stuff but does it contain it <laughs> mayonnaise will expire before pickles will expire before mustard will expire before ketchup will expire before oh relish, no, no, no. Will expire you before gotta, chipotle you <laughs> avocado in there because by the time that avocado is hitting the the slurry that is being made it's what? already bad <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just the expiration date is the moment you pick it up off the shelf <laughs> <laughs> the second you look at it it's, it's like it's expiring get to it quick Zinger Zinger is in the Urban Dictionary. Semi-cool kid who thinks he's the (laughs) s***.
Not wrong. Not wrong. <laughs> oh, wait. Hold on. Zing. Oh, don't worry. Third, We've been holding on. The, the third definition as a noun, zing-er, also known as bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> My life on, on um, Urban Dictionary is now complete. I met this kid named Zenger at this weird hotel, yeah, and yes. we once wrote a porno. Yep. <laughs> and you're it. saying you had nothing to do no, with I it? Not, to the best of my knowledge, I had nothing to do with it. Zenger, where were you on the night of January 17th, 2004? Well, ooh, that's a tough one. Well, I was watching was the Attack weekend. The, I was watching this film called Attack of the Clones. <laughs> and the cable I was out. not violently angry yet. Not yet. It's a circle jerk of just incompetence. <laughs> now that should be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's the original title of the podcast, right? Zanger Circle yes. Jerk of Incompetence. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, that's great. So Do we have to bleep that out? Do we have to bleep out the word circle jerk? Does that have to be bleeped out? You I mean, need to bleep it out in a way to where it makes it amusing. <laughs> to where you can't really figure out what exactly it was. Okay, good. I just want to make sure. I'm trying to figure out. What do you do I bleep out? Both words? Just no, I think you part. should bleep out circle, but leave jerk. And people <laughs> will be like, what? Like, what are they talking about? What was going on? <laughs> Stuff got weird. Oh, man. Wait. Is that ketchup and ranch? What the there's everything! I just said them. there's everything! <laughs> Look, there's no point in listing anything! There's everything! Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what is this world coming to? That's that's what I've been saying, man. <laughs> this is the darkest of all the timelines. <laughs> oh, right. As is. as Zenger sifts Cranch. through the 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 Wiki Hines page of combination <laughs> condiments, I want to go on. I got Cranch and, now. <laughs> Cranch. Cranch. It, it sounds like something you get from using. <laughs> too much. I'm sorry to say this, sir, but you have cranch. <laughs> Is there any cure? You're gonna have to learn how to live with it. <laughs> uh, consulting a mortician. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Well, yes. As Zenger goes through that and maybe interjects with cranch and French and branch and all the other things he's gonna interject with, I wanted to say a little bit more about the statistics. I, I actually have to agree with you, Zenger. I'm getting the sense that you don't like self-checkout. I don't like self-checkout no, either. I, I do actually. No, I love self-checkout. Well, I well, I mean, I down it, constantly at certain stores. It's it's interesting. I like the premise of self-checkout, but I hate the fact that I'm an avid coupon clipper. Like I shop <laughs> with coupons, and every time I do self-checkout. And I have a coupon. They have to have an attendant come over and scan the coupons. They don't look at the coupons. They don't check if the coupon is appropriate. So what's the point of having the attendant come over? That's my biggest issue with it. It's like waiting until the robot comes over. Yeah, yeah, I I just want like if if you're going to have an attendant come over, at least check my damn coupon. Like if I'm buying, you know, like a a two liter of ginger ale, I got a coupon for like deli cheese. At least look at it. Don't make the attendant come over and scan it the same exact way I would have. It makes no sense. So I'm with you, Zanger. I, I, are you? I, 
I hope so. <laughs> I, I said I like self-checkout. Well, well, okay. I guess I like it, but there's issues with it still. That's what I'm saying. And coupons are one of them. I guess I need to start using coupons more. Do they have a you don't coupon use coupons? What are you paying full price for? Shit? You paying full price for your mayo <laughs> mustard over here? What's wrong with you? It's store brand. You gotta buy it enough so they start sending you coupons for it. You gotta play the game, Zanger. Come on. <laughs> We'll do that. Okay, that'll be the next Rob statistics episode. We're gonna break down the risk analysis of coupons. How about that, Zach? Can we get what that the Star risk Wars related? What? Okay, so we need to make graphs and tables and pie charts of Zinger's average trip to the grocery store. How hungry <laughs> is he before he goes in? How likely is he to be mauled by one of the robots? <laughs> we're gonna yeah, and we're gonna say if you if you report more hostile sexism, you are more likely to use coupons. That's gonna be our narrative. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.